This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of The Cold Equations by Tom Godwin. It's read by John Stratton. It runs one hour, two minutes, and we will be discussing it afterward. The Cold Equations, Tom Godwin. He was not alone. There was nothing to indicate the fact but the white hand of the tiny gauge on the board before him. The control room was empty but for himself. There was no sound other than the murmur of the drives. But the white hand had moved. It had been on zero when the little ship was launched from the stardust. Now, an hour later, it had crept up. There was something in the supplies closet across the room. It was saying, some kind of body that radiated heat. It could be but one kind of a body, a living human body. He leaned back in the pilot's chair and drew a deep, slow breath, considering what he would have to do. He was an EDS pilot, inured to the sight of death, long since accustomed to it and to viewing the dying of another man with an objective lack of emotion, and he had no choice in what he must do. There could be no alternative, but it required a few moments of conditioning for even an EDS pilot to prepare himself to walk across the room and coldly, deliberately take the life of a man he had yet to meet. He would, of course, do it. It was the law, stated very bluntly and definitely in grim paragraph L, section 8 of Interstellar Regulations. Any stowaway discovered in an EDS shall be jettisoned immediately following discovery. It was the law, and there could be no appeal. It was a law not of men's choosing, but made imperative by the circumstances of the space frontier. Galactic expansion had followed the development of the hyperspace drive, and as men scattered wide across the frontier there had come the problem of contact with the isolated first colonies and exploration parties. The huge hyperspace cruisers were the product of the combined genius and effort of Earth, and were long and expensive in the building. They were not available in such numbers that small colonies could possess them. The cruisers carried the colonists to their new worlds and made periodic visits, running on tight schedules. But they could not stop and turn aside to visit colonies scheduled to be visited at another time. Such a delay would destroy their schedule and produce a confusion and uncertainty that would wreck the complex interdependence between old Earth and the new worlds of the frontier. Some method of delivering supplies or assistance when an emergency occurred on a world not scheduled for a visit had been needed, and the emergency dispatch ships had been the answer. Small and collapsible, they occupied little room in the hold of the cruiser. Made of light metal and plastics, they were driven by a small rocket drive that consumed relatively little fuel. Each cruiser carried four EDSs and when a call for aid was received, the nearest cruiser would drop into normal space long enough to launch an EDS with the needed supplies or personnel, then vanish again as it continued on its course. The cruisers, powered by nuclear converters, did not use the liquid rocket fuel, but nuclear converters were far too large and complex to permit their installation in the EDSs. The cruisers were forced by necessity to carry a limited amount of the bulky rocket fuel, and the fuel was rationed with care. 
the cruiser's computers determining the exact amount of fuel each EDS would require for its mission. The computers considered the course coordinates, the mass of the EDS, the mass of pilot and cargo. They were very precise and accurate and omitted nothing from their calculations. They could not, however, foresee and allow for the added mass of a stowaway. The Stardust had received the request from one of the exploration parties stationed on Woden. The six men of the party, already being stricken with fever carried by the green Kala midges and their own supply of serum destroyed by tornado that had torn through their camp. The Stardust had gone through the usual procedure, dropping into normal space to launch the EDS with the fever serum, then vanishing again in hyperspace. Now, an hour later, the gauge was saying there was something more than the small carton of serum in the supplies closet. He let his eyes rest on the narrow white door of the closet. There, just inside, another man lived and breathed, and was beginning to feel assured that discovery of his presence would now be too late for the pilot to alter the situation. It was too late. For the man behind the door, it was far later than he thought, and in a way he would find terrible to believe. There could be no alternative. Additional fuel would be used during the hours of deceleration to compensate for the added mass of the stowaway, infinitesimal increments of fuel that would not be missed until the ship had almost reached its destination. Then, at some distance above the ground that might be as near as a thousand feet, or as far as tens of thousands of feet, depending upon the mass of ship and cargo and the preceding period of deceleration, the unmissed increments of fuel would make their absence known. The EDS would expend its last drops of fuel with a sputter and go into whistling free fall. Ship and pilot and stowaway would merge together upon impact as a wreckage of metal and plastic, flesh and blood, driven deep into the soil. The stowaway had signed his own death warrant when he concealed himself on the ship. He could not be permitted to take seven others with him. He looked again at the tell-tale white hand, then rose to his feet. What he must do would be unpleasant for both of them. The sooner it was over, the better. He stepped across the control room to stand by the white door. "'Come out!' His command was harsh and abrupt above the murmur of the drive. It seemed he could hear the whisper of a furtive movement inside the closet. Then nothing. He visualized the stowaway cowering into one corner, suddenly worried by the possible consequences of his act and his self-assurance evaporating. I said, out! He heard the stowaway move to obey, and he waited with his eyes alert on the door and his hand near the blaster at his side. The door opened and the stowaway stepped through it, smiling. All right, I give up. Now what? It was a girl. He stared without speaking, his hand dropping away from the blaster, and acceptance of what he saw coming like a heavy and unexpected physical blow. The stowaway was not a man. She was a girl in her teens, standing before him in little white gypsy sandals with the top of her brown curly head hardly higher than his shoulder, with the faint sweet scent of perfume coming from her, and her smiling face tilted up so that her eyes could look unknowing and unafraid into his as she waited for his answer. Now what? Had it been asked in the deep, defiant voice of a man, he would have answered it with action, quick and efficient. He would have taken the stowaway's identification disc and ordered him into the airlock. Had the stowaway refused to obey, he would have used the blaster. It would not have taken long. Within a minute, the body would have been ejected into space, 
had the stowaway been a man. He returned to the pilot's chair and motioned her to seat herself on the box-like bulk of the drive control units that were set against the wall beside him. She obeyed, his silence making the smile fade into the meek and guilty expression of a pup that has been caught in mischief and knows it must be punished. "'You still haven't told me,' she said. "'I'm guilty, so what happens to me now? Do I pay a fine, or what?' "'What are you doing here?' he asked. "'Why did you stow away on this EDS?' "'I wanted to see my brother. He's with the government survey crew on Woden, and I haven't seen him for ten years.' not since he left Earth to go into government survey work. What was your destination on the Stardust? Mimir? I have a position waiting for me there. My brother has been sending money home all the time to us, my father and my mother and I, and he paid for a special course in linguistics I was taking. I graduated sooner than expected, and I was offered this job on Mimir. I knew it would be almost a year before Jerry's job was done on Woden, so he could come on to Mimir, and that's why I hid in the closet there. There was plenty of room for me, and I was willing to pay the fine. There were only the two of us kids, Jerry and I, and I haven't seen him for so long, and I didn't want to wait another year when I could see him now, even though I knew I would be breaking some kind of a regulation when I did it. I knew I would be breaking some kind of a regulation... In a way, she could not be blamed for her ignorance of the law. She was of Earth and had not realized that the laws of the space frontier must, of necessity, be as hard and relentless as the environment that gave them birth. Yet to protect such as her from the results of their own ignorance of the frontier, there had been a sign over the door that led to the section of the stardust that housed the EDSs, a sign that was plain for all to see and heed. Unauthorized personnel, keep out! Does your brother know that you took a passage on the Stardust for Mimir? Oh, yes, I sent him a spacegram telling him about my graduation and about going to Mimir on the Stardust a month before I left Earth. I already knew Mimir was where he would be stationed in a little over a year. He gets a promotion then, and he'll be based on Mimir and not have to stay out a year at a time on field trips like he does now. There were two different survey groups on Woden, and he asked, What is his name? Cross? Jerry Cross? He's in Group 2. That was the way his address read. Do you know him? Group 1 had requested the serum. Group 2 was 8,000 miles away, across the Western Sea. No, I've never met him, he said. Then turned to the control board and cut the deceleration to a fraction of gravity, knowing as he did so that it could not avert the ultimate end, yet doing the only thing he could do to prolong that ultimate end. The sensation was like that of a ship suddenly dropping, and the girl's involuntary movement of surprise half lifted her from her seat. "'We're going faster now, aren't we?' she asked. "'Why are we doing that?' He told her the truth. "'To save fuel for a little while.' "'You mean we don't have very much?' He delayed the answer he must give her so soon, to ask, "'How did you manage to stow away?' I just sort of walked in when no one was looking my way, she said. I was practicing my Galanese on the native girl who does the cleaning in the ship's supply office when someone came in with an order for supplies for the survey crew on Woden. I slipped into the closet there after the ship was ready to go, and just before you came in. It was an impulse of the moment to stow away, so I could get to see Jerry. 
and from the way you keep looking at me so grim, I'm not sure it was a very wise impulse. But I'll be a model criminal. Or do I mean prisoner? She smiled at him again. I intended to pay for my keep on top of paying the fine. I can cook, and I can patch clothes for everyone, and I know how to do all kinds of useful things, even a little bit about nursing. There was one more question to ask. Did you know what the supplies were that the survey crew ordered? Why, no. Equipment they needed in their work, I supposed. Why couldn't she have been a man with some ulterior motive, a fugitive from justice hoping to lose himself on a raw new world, an opportunist seeking transportation to the new colonies where he might find golden fleece for the taking, a crackpot with a mission? Perhaps once in his lifetime an EDS pilot would find such a stowaway on his ship. Warped men, mean and selfish men, brutal and dangerous men, but never before a smiling, blue-eyed girl who was willing to pay her fine and work for her keep, that she might see her brother. He turned to the board and turned the switch that would signal the stardust. The call would be futile, but he could not, until he had exhausted that one vain hope, seize her and thrust her into the airlock as he would an animal or a man. The delay in the meantime would not be dangerous with the EDS decelerating at fractional gravity. A voice spoke from the communicator. Stardust, identify yourself and proceed. Barton, EDS, 34G11, emergency. Give me Commander Dellart. There was a faint confusion of noises as the request went through the proper channels. The girl was watching him, no longer smiling. Are you going to order them to come back after me? she asked. The communicator clicked, and there was the sound of a distant voice saying, Commander, the EDS requests... Are they coming back after me? she asked again. Won't I get to see my brother after all? Barton! The blunt, gruff voice of Commander Dellart came from the communicator. What's this about an emergency? A stowaway, he answered. A stowaway? There was a slight surprise to the question. That's rather unusual. But why the emergency call? You discovered him in time, so there should be no appreciable danger. And I presume you've informed ship's records, so his nearest relatives can be notified. That's why I had to call you first. The stowaway is still aboard, and the circumstances are so different. Different? The commander interrupted impatience in his voice. How can they be different? You know you have a limited supply of fuel. You also know the law, as well as I do. Any stowaway discovered in an EDS shall be jettisoned immediately following discovery. There was the sound of a sharply indrawn breath from the girl. What does he mean? The stowaway is a girl. What? She wanted to see her brother. She's only a kid, and she didn't know what she was really doing. I see. All the curtness was gone from the commander's voice. So you called me in the hope I could do something. Without waiting for an answer, he went on. I'm sorry I can do nothing. This cruiser must maintain its schedule. The life of not one person, but the lives of many, depend on it. I know how you feel, but I'm powerless to help you. You'll have to go through with it. I'll have you connected with ship's records. The communicator faded to a faint rustle of sound, and he turned to the girl. 
She was leaning forward on the bench, almost rigid, her eyes fixed wide and frightened. What did he mean, to go through with it? To jettison me? To go through with it? What did he mean? Not the way it sounded. He couldn't have. What did he mean? What did he really mean? Her time was too short for the comfort of a lie to be more than a cruelly fleeting delusion. He meant it the way it sounded. No! She recoiled from him as though he had struck her, one hand half upraised as though to fend him off and stark unwillingness to believe in her eyes. It will have to be. No, you're joking. You're insane. You can't mean it. I'm sorry. He spoke slowly to her, gently. I should have told you before. I should have. But I had to do what I could first. I had to call the stardust. You heard what the commander said. But you can't. If you make me leave the ship, I'll die. I know. She searched his face, and the unwillingness to believe left her eyes, giving way slowly to a look of dazed terror. You know? She spoke the words far apart, numb and wonderingly. I know. It has to be like that. You mean it. You really mean it. She sagged back against the wall, small and limp, like a little rag doll, and all the protesting and disbelief gone. You're going to do it. You're going to make me die. I'm sorry, he said again. You'll never know how sorry I am. It has to be that way, and no human in the universe can change it. You're going to make me die, and I didn't do anything to die for. I didn't do anything. He sighed, deep and weary. I know you didn't, child. I know you didn't. EDS, the communicator rapped, brisk and metallic. This is ship's records. Give us all information on subject's identification disk. He got out of his chair to stand over her. She clutched the edge of the seat, her upturned face white under the brown hair and the lipstick standing out like a blood-red Cupid's bow. Now? I want your identification disc, he said. She released the edge of the seat and fumbled at the chain that suspended the plastic disc from her neck with fingers that were trembling and awkward. He reached down and unfastened the clasp for her, then returned with the disc to his chair. Here's your data, records. Identification number T-837. One moment, records interrupted. This is to be filed on the gray card, of course? Yes. And the time of the execution? I'll tell you later. Later? This is highly irregular. The time of the subject's death is required before... He kept the thickness out of his voice with an effort... Then we'll do it in a highly irregular manner. You'll hear the disc read first. The subject is a girl, and she's listening to everything that's said. Are you capable of understanding that? There was a brief, almost shocked silence, then Records said meekly, Sorry. Go ahead. He began to read the disc, reading it slowly to delay the inevitable for as long as possible, trying to help her by giving her what little time he could to recover from her first terror and let it resolve into the calm of acceptance and resignation. 
number T8374-1. Name, Marilyn Lee Cross. Sex, female. Born July 7, 2160. She was only 18. Height, 5'3", weight, 110. Such a slight weight, yet enough to add fatally to the mass of the shell-thin bubble that was an EDS. Hair, brown, eyes, blue. Complexion, light. Blood type, O. Irrelevant data. Destination, Port City, Mimir. Invalid data. He finished and said, I'll call you later, and turned once again to the girl. She was huddled back against the wall, watching him with a look of numb and wondering fascination. They're waiting for you to kill me, aren't they? They want me dead, don't they? You and everybody on the cruiser wants me dead, don't you? Then the numbness broke, and her voice was that of a frightened and bewildered child. Everybody wants me dead, and I didn't do anything. I didn't hurt anyone. I only wanted to see my brother. It's not the way you think. It isn't that way at all, he said. Nobody wants it that way. Nobody would ever let it be this way if it was humanly possible to change it. Then why is it? I don't understand. Why is it? The ship is carrying Kala fever serum to Group 1 on Woden. Their own supply was destroyed by a tornado. Group 2, the crew your brother is in, is 8,000 miles away across the Western Sea, and their helicopters can't cross it to help Group 1. The fever is invariably fatal unless the serum can be had in time, and the six men in Group 1 will die unless this ship reaches them on schedule. These little ships are always given barely enough fuel to reach their destination, and if you stay aboard, your added weight will cause it to use up all its fuel before it reaches the ground. It will crash then, and you and I will die, and so will the six men waiting for the fever serum. It was a full minute before she spoke, and as she considered his words, the expression of numbness left her eyes. Is that it? she asked at last. Just that the ship doesn't have enough fuel? Yes. I can go alone or I can take seven others with me. Is that the way it is? That's the way it is. And nobody wants me to have to die? Nobody. Then maybe... Are you sure nothing can be done about it? Wouldn't people help me if they could? Everyone would like to help you, but there is nothing anyone can do. I did the only thing I could when I called the stardust. And it won't come back. But there might be other cruisers, mightn't there? Isn't there any hope at all that there might be someone somewhere who could do something to help me? She was leaning forward a little in her eagerness as she waited for his answer. No. The word was like the drop of a cold stone, and she again leaned back against the wall, the hope and eagerness leaving her face. 
You're sure. You know you're sure. I'm sure. There are no other cruisers within forty light years. There is nothing and no one to change things. She dropped her gaze to her lap and began twisting a pleat of her skirt between her fingers, saying no more as her mind began to adapt itself to the grim knowledge. It was better so. With the going of all hope would go the fear. With the going of all hope would come resignation. She needed time, and she could have so little of it. How much? The EDSs were not equipped with hull cooling units. Their speed had to be reduced to a moderate level before entering the atmosphere. They were decelerating at point ten gravity, approaching their destination at a far higher speed than the computers had calculated on. The Stardust had been quite near Woden when she launched the EDS. Their present velocity was putting them nearer by the second. There would be a critical point soon to be reached when he would have to resume deceleration. When he did so, the girl's weight would be multiplied by the gravities of deceleration, would become suddenly a factor of paramount importance, the factor the computers had been ignorant of when they determined the amount of fuel the EDS should have. She would have to go when deceleration began. There could be no other way. When would that be? How long could he let her stay? How long can I stay? He winced involuntarily from the words that were so like an echo of his own thoughts. How long he didn't know. He would have to ask the ship's computers. Each EDS was given a meager supply of fuel to compensate for unfavorable conditions within the atmosphere, and relatively little fuel was being consumed for the time being. The memory banks of the computers would still contain all the data pertaining to the course set for the EDS. Such data would not be erased until the EDS reached its destination. He had only to give the computers the new data, the girl's weight, and the exact time at which he had reduced the deceleration to point ten. Barton, Commander Dellert's voice came abruptly from the communicator as he opened his mouth to call the stardust. A check with records shows me you haven't completed your report. Did you reduce the deceleration? So the commander knew what he was trying to do. I'm decelerating at point ten, he answered. I cut the deceleration at seventeen fifty, and the weight is a hundred and ten. I would like to stay at point ten as long as the computers say I can. Will you give them the question? It was contrary to regulations for an EDS pilot to make any changes in the course or degree of deceleration the computers had set for him, but the commander made no mention of the violation. Neither did he ask the reason for it. It was not necessary for him to ask. He had not become commander of an interstellar cruiser without both intelligence and an understanding of human nature. He said only, "I'll have that given the computers." The communicator fell silent, and he and the girl waited, neither of them speaking. They would not have to wait long. The computers would give the answer within moments of the asking. The new factors would be fed into the steel maw of the first bank, and the electrical impulses would go through the complex circuits. Here and there, a relay might click, a tiny cog turn over, but it would be essentially the electrical impulses that found the answer, formless, mindless, invisible, determining with utter precision how long the pale girl beside him might live. Then five little segments of metal in the second bank would trip in rapid succession against an inked ribbon, and a second steel maw would spit out the slip of paper that bore the answer. 
The chronometer on the instrument board read 1810 when the commander spoke again. You will resume deceleration at 1910. She looked towards the chronometer, then quickly away from it. Is that when... when I go? she asked. He nodded, and she dropped her eyes to her lap again. I'll have the course corrections given you, the commander said. Ordinarily I would never permit anything like this, but I understand your position. There is nothing I can do other than what I've just done, and you will not deviate from these new instructions. You will complete your report at 1910. Now, here are the course corrections. The voice of some unknown technician read them to him, and he wrote them down on a pad clipped to the edge of the control board. There would, he saw, be periods of deceleration when he neared the atmosphere, when the deceleration would be five gravities, and at five gravities, one hundred and ten pounds would become five hundred and fifty pounds. The technician finished, and he terminated the contact with a brief acknowledgment. Then, hesitating a moment, he reached out and shut off the communicator. It was 1813, and he would have nothing to report until 1910. In the meantime, it somehow seemed indecent to permit others to hear what she might say in her last hour. He began to check the instrument readings, going over them with unnecessary slowness. She would have to accept the circumstances, and there was nothing he could do to help her into acceptance. Words of sympathy would only delay it. It was 1820 when she stirred from her motionlessness and spoke. So that's the way it has to be with me. He swung around to face her. You understand now, don't you? No one would ever let it be like this if it could be changed. I understand, she said. Some of the color had returned to her face, and the lipstick no longer stood out so vividly red. There isn't enough fuel for me to stay. When I hit on this ship, I got into something I didn't know anything about, and now I have to pay for it. She had violated a man-made law that said keep out, but the penalty was not of men's making or desire, and it was a penalty men could not revoke. A physical law had decreed H amount of fuel will power an EDS with a mass of M safely to its destination, and a second physical law decreed H amount of fuel will not power an EDS with a mass of M plus X safely to its destination. EDS has obeyed only physical laws, and no amount of human sympathy for her could alter the second law. But I'm afraid. I don't want to die. Not now. I want to live, and nobody is doing anything to help me. Everybody is letting me go ahead and acting just like nothing was going to happen to me. I'm going to die, and nobody cares. We all do, he said. I do, and the commander does, and the clerk in ship's records. We all care, and each of us did what little he could to help you. It wasn't enough. It was almost nothing. But it was all we could do. Not enough fuel. I can understand that, she said, as though she had not heard his own words. But to have to die for it, me, alone. How hard it must be for her to accept the fact. She had never known danger of death had never known the environments where the lives of men could be as fragile and as fleeting as sea foam tossed against a rocky shore. She belonged on gentle earth, 
in that secure and peaceful society where she could be young and gay and laughing with others of her kind, where life was precious and well-guarded, and there was always the assurance that tomorrow would come. She belonged to that world of soft winds and warm suns, music and moonlight and gracious manners, and not on the hard, bleak frontier. How did it happen to me so terribly quickly? An hour ago I was on the stardust, going to Mimir. Now the stardust is going on without me, and I'm going to die, and I'll never see Jerry and Mama and Daddy again. I'll never see anything again. He hesitated wondering how he could explain it to her so that she would really understand and not feel she had somehow been the victim of a reasonlessly cruel injustice. She did not know what the frontier was like, she thought in terms of safe and secure earth. Pretty girls were not jettisoned on earth. There was a law against it. On earth her plight would have filled the newscasts, and a vast black patrol ship would have been racing to her rescue. Everyone, everywhere, would have known of Marilyn Lee Cross, and no effort would have been spared to save her life. But this was not Earth, and there were no patrol ships, only the stardust, leaving them behind at many times the speed of light. There was no one to help her. There would be no Marilyn Lee Cross smiling from the newscasts tomorrow. Marilyn Lee Cross would be but a poignant memory for an EDS pilot and a name on a gray card in ship's records. It's different here. It's not like back on Earth, he said. It isn't that no one cares. It's that no one can do anything to help. The frontier is big, and here along its rim the colonies and exploration parties are scattered so thin and far between. On Woden, for example, there are only sixteen men. Sixteen men on an entire world... The exploration parties, the survey crews, the little first colonies. They're all fighting alien environments, trying to make a way for those who will follow after. The environments fight back, and those who go first usually make mistakes only once. There is no margin of safety along the rim of the frontier. There can't be until the way is made for the others who will come later, until the new worlds are tamed and settled. Until then, men will have to pay the penalty for making mistakes with no one to help them, because there is no one to help them. I was going to Mimir, she said. I didn't know about the frontier. I was only going to Mimir, and it's safe. Mimir is safe, but you left the cruiser that was taking you there. She was silent for a little while. It was all so wonderful at first. There was plenty of room for me on this ship, and I would be seeing Jerry so soon. I didn't know about the fuel, didn't know what would happen to me. Her words trailed away, and he turned his attention to the view screen, not wanting to stare at her as she fought her way through the black horror of fear towards the calm gray of acceptance. Woden was a ball, enshrouded in the blue haze of atmosphere, swimming in space against the background of star-sprinkled dead blackness. The great mass of Manning's continent sprawled like a gigantic hourglass in the eastern sea, with the western half of the eastern continent still visible. There was a thin line of shadow along the right-hand edge of the globe, and the eastern continent was disappearing into it as the planet turned on its axis. An hour before, the entire continent had been in view. Now a thousand miles of it had gone into the thin edge of shadow, 
and around to the night that lay on the other side of the world. The dark blue spot that was Lotus Lake was approaching the shadow. It was somewhere near the southern edge of the lake that Group Two had their camp. It would be night there soon, and quick behind the coming of night, the rotation of Woden on its axis would put Group Two beyond the reach of the ship's radio. He would have to tell her before it was too late for her to talk to her brother. In a way, it would be better for both of them should they not do so, but it was not for him to decide. To each of them, the last words would be something to hold and cherish, something that would cut like the blade of a knife, yet would be infinitely precious to remember. She for her own brief moments to live, and he for the rest of his life. He held down the button that would flash the grid lines on the view screen and use the known diameter of the planet to estimate the distance the southern tip of Lake Lotus had yet to go until it passed beyond radio range. It was approximately five hundred miles. Five hundred miles, thirty minutes, and the chronometer read eighteen thirty. Allowing for error in estimating, it could not be later than nineteen o five that the turning of Woden would cut off her brother's voice. The first border of the western continent was already in sight along the left side of the world. Four thousand miles across it lay the shore of the Western Sea and the camp of Group One. It had been in the Western Sea that the tornado had originated to strike with such fury at the camp and destroy half their prefabricated buildings, including the one that housed the medical supplies. Two days before the tornado had not existed, it had been no more than great gentle masses of air out over the calm Western Sea. Group One had gone about their routine survey work, unaware of the meeting of the air masses out at sea, unaware of the force the Union was spawning. It had struck their camp without warning, a thundering, roaring destruction that sought to annihilate all that lay before it. It had passed on, leaving the wreckage in its wake. It had destroyed the labor of months and had doomed six men to die. And then, as though its task was accomplished, it once more began to resolve into gentle masses of air. But for all its deadliness, it had destroyed with neither malice nor intent. It had been a blind and mindless force, obeying the laws of nature, and it would have followed the same course with the same fury had man never existed. Existence required order, and there was order—the laws of nature, irrevocable and immutable. Men could learn to use them, but men could not change them. The circumference of a circle was always pi times the diameter, and no science of man would ever make it otherwise. The combination of chemical A with chemical B under condition C invariably produced reaction D. The law of gravitation was a rigid equation, and it made no distinction between the fall of a leaf and the ponderous circling of a binary star system. The nuclear conversion process powered the cruisers that carried men to the stars. The same process, in the form of a nova, would destroy a world with equal efficiency. The laws were. And the universe moved in obedience to them. Along the frontier were arrayed all the forces of nature, and sometimes they destroyed those who were fighting their way outwards from Earth. The men of the frontier had long ago learned the bitter futility of cursing the forces that would destroy them, for the forces were blind and deaf. The futility of looking to the heavens for mercy, for the stars of the galaxy swung in their long, long sweep of two hundred million years. As inexorably controlled as they were by the laws that knew neither hatred nor compassion, the men of the frontier knew. 
but how is a girl from Earth to fully understand? H amount of fuel will not power an EDS with a mass of M plus X safely to its destination. To himself and her brother and parents, she was a sweet-faced girl in her teens. To the laws of nature, she was X, the unwanted factor in a cold equation. She stirred again on the seat. Could I write a letter? I want to write to Mama and Daddy, and I'd like to talk to Jerry. Could you let me talk to him over your radio there? I'll try to get him, he said. He switched on the normal space transmitter and pressed the signal button. Someone answered the button almost immediately. Hello? How's it going with you fellows now? Is the EDS on its way? This isn't Group 1. This is the EDS, he said. Is Jerry Cross there? Jerry, he and two others went out in the helicopter this morning and aren't back yet. It's almost sundown, though, and he ought to be back right away, in less than an hour at the most. Can you connect me through the radio in his copter? Uh-uh, it's been out of commission for two months. Some printed circuits went awire, and we can't get any more until the next cruiser stops by. Is it something important? Bad news for him or something? Yes, it's very important. When he comes in, get him to the transmitter as soon as you possibly can. I'll do that. I'll have one of the boys waiting at the field with the truck. Is there anything else I can do? Oh, I guess that's all. Get him there as soon as you can and signal me. He turned the volume to an inaudible minimum, an act that would not affect the functioning of the signal buzzer, and unclipped the pad of paper from the control board. He tore off the sheet containing his flight instructions and handed the pad to her, together with pencil. I'd better write to Jerry, too, she said as she took them. He might not get back to camp in time. She began to write, her fingers still clumsy and uncertain in the way they handled the pencil and the top of it trembling a little as she poised it between words. He turned back to the view screen to stare at it without seeing it. She was a lonely little child trying to say her last goodbye, and she would lay out her heart to them. She would tell them how much she loved them, and she would tell them to not feel badly about it, that it was only something that must eventually happen to everyone, and she was not afraid. The last would be a lie, and it would be there to read between the sprawling, uneven lines, a valiant little lie that would make the hurt all the greater for them. Her brother was of the frontier, and he would understand. He would not hate the EDS pilot for doing nothing to prevent her going, he would know there had been nothing the pilot could do. He would understand, though the understanding would not soften the shock and pain when he learned his sister was gone. But the others, her father and mother, they would not understand. They were of earth, and they would think in the manner of those who had never lived, where the safety margin of life was a thin, thin line, and sometimes not at all. What would they think of the faceless unknown pilot who had sent her to her death? They would hate him with cold and terrible intensity, but it really didn't matter. He would never see them, never know them. He would have only the memories to remind him, only the nights to fear, when a blue-eyed girl in gypsy sandals would come in his dreams to die again. He scowled at the view screen and tried to force his thoughts into less emotional channels. 
There was nothing he could do to help her. She had unknowingly subjected herself to the penalty of a law that recognized neither innocence nor youth nor beauty, that was incapable of sympathy or leniency. Regret was illogical, and yet, could knowing it to be illogical ever keep it away? She stopped occasionally, as though trying to find the right words to tell them what she wanted them to know. Then the pencil would resume its whispering on the paper. It was 1837 when she folded the letter in a square and wrote a name on it. She began writing another, twice looking up at the chronometer, as though she feared the black hand might reach its rendezvous before she had finished. It was 1845 when she folded it as she had done the first letter and wrote a name and address on it. She held the letters out to him. "'Will you take care of these and see that they're enveloped and mailed?' "'Of course.' He took them from her hand and placed them in a pocket of his gray uniform shirt. These can't be sent off until the next cruiser stops by, and the stardust will have long since told them about me, won't it? she asked. He nodded, and she went on. That makes the letters not important in one way. But in another way, they're very important, to me and to them. I know, I understand, and I'll take care of them. She glanced at the chronometer, then back at him. It seems to move faster all the time, doesn't it? He said nothing, unable to think of anything to say, and she asked, Do you think Jerry will come back to camp in time? I think so. They said he should be in right away. She began to roll the pencil back and forth between her palms. I hope he does. I feel sick and scared, and I want to hear his voice again, and maybe I won't feel so alone. I'm a coward, and I can't help it. No, he said, you're not a coward. You're afraid, but you're not a coward. Is there a difference? He nodded. A lot of difference. I feel so alone. I never did feel like this before, like I was all by myself, and there was nobody to care what happened to me. Always before there was Mama and Daddy there and my friends around me. I had lots of friends, and they had a going-away party for me the night before I left. Friends and music and laughter for her to remember, and on the view screen Lotus Lake was going into the shadow. Is it the same with Jerry, she asked? I mean, if he should make a mistake, would he have to die for it, all alone and with no one to help him? It's the same with all along the frontier. It will always be like that, so long as there is a frontier. Jerry didn't tell us. He said the pay was good, and he sent money home all the time because Daddy's little shop just brought in a bare living. But he didn't tell us it was like this. He didn't tell you his work was dangerous? Well, yes, he mentioned that, but we didn't understand. I always thought danger along the frontier was something that was a lot of fun, an exciting adventure, like the 3D shows. A wan smile touched her face for a moment. Only it's not, is it? It's not the same at all, because when it's real, you can't go home after the show is over. No, he said, no, you can't. Her glance flicked from the chronometer to the door of the airlock, then down to the pad and pencil she still held. She shifted her position slightly to lay them on the bench beside her, moving one foot out a little. For the first time he saw that she was not wearing vague and gypsy sandals, but only cheap imitations. 
The expensive vegan leather was some kind of grained plastic. The silver buckle was gilded iron. The jewels were colored glass. Danny's little shop just brought in a bare living. She must have left college in her second year to take the course in linguistics that would enable her to make her own way and help her brother provide for her parents, earning what she could by part-time work after classes were over. Her personal possessions on the Stardust would be taken back to her parents. They would neither be of much value nor occupy much storage space for the return voyage. Isn't it... She stopped, and he looked at her questioningly. Isn't it cold in here, she asked, almost apologetically. Doesn't it seem cold to you? Why, yes, he said. He saw by the main temperature gauge that the room was at precisely normal temperature. Yes, it's colder than it should be. I wish Jerry would get back before it's too late. Do you really think he will? And you didn't say so just to make me feel better? I think he will. They said he would be in pretty soon. On the view screen, Lotus Lake had gone into the shadow, but for the thin blue line on its western edge, and it was apparent he had overestimated the time she would have in which to talk to her brother. Reluctantly, he said to her, His camp will be out of radio range in a few minutes. He's on that part of Woden that's in the shadow. He indicated the view screen, And the turning of Woden will put him beyond contact. There may not be much time left when he comes in. Not much time to talk to him before he fades out. I wish I could do something about it. I would call him right now if I could. Not even as much time as I will have to stay? I'm afraid not. Then she straightened and looked towards the airlock with pale resolution. Then I'll go when Jerry passes beyond range. I won't wait any longer after that. I won't have anything to wait for. Again, there was nothing he could say. Maybe I shouldn't wait at all. Maybe I'm selfish. Maybe it would be better for Jerry if you just told him about it afterwards. There was an unconscious pleading for denial in the way she spoke, and he said, He wouldn't want you to do that, not to wait for him. It's already coming dark where he is, isn't it? There will be all the long night before him, and Mama and Daddy don't know yet that I won't ever be coming back like I promised them I would. I've caused everyone I love to be hurt, haven't I? I didn't want to. I didn't intend to. It wasn't your fault, he said. It wasn't your fault at all. They'll know that. They'll understand. At first I was so afraid to die that I was a coward and thought only of myself. Now I see how selfish I was. The terrible thing about dying like this is not that I'll be gone, but that I'll never see them again, never be able to tell them that I didn't take them for granted, never be able to tell them I knew of the sacrifices they made to keep my life happier, that I knew all the things they did for me and that I loved them so much more than I ever told them. I never told them any of those things. You don't tell them such things when you're young and your life is all before you. You're afraid of sounding sentimental and silly. But it's so different when you have to die. You wish you had told them while you could, and you wish you could tell them you're sorry for all the little mean things you ever did or said to them. You wish you could tell them that you didn't 
really mean to ever hurt their feelings, and for them only to remember that you always loved them far more than you ever let them know. You don't have to tell them that, he said. They will know. They've always known it. Are you sure? she asked. How can you be sure? My people are strangers to you. Wherever you go, human nature and human hearts are the same. And they will know what I want them to know, that I love them. They've always known it, in a way far better than you could ever put in words for them. I keep remembering the things they did for me, and it's the little things they did that seem to be the most important to me now. Like Jerry, he sent me a bracelet of fire rubies on my sixteenth birthday. It was beautiful. It must have cost him a month's pay. Yet I remember him more for what he did the night my kitten got run over in the street. I was only six years old, and he held me in his arms and wiped away my tears and told me not to cry, that Flossie was gone for just a little while, or just long enough to get herself a new fur coat, and she would be on the foot of my bed the very next morning. I believed him and quit crying and went to sleep dreaming about my kitten coming back. When I woke up the next morning, there was Flossie on the foot of my bed in a brand-new white fur coat, just like he said she would be. It wasn't until a long time later that Mama told me Jerry had got the pet shop owner out of bed at four in the morning, and when the man got mad about it, Jerry told him he was either going to go down and sell him the white kitten right then, or he'd break his neck. It's always the little things you remember people by, all the little things they did because they wanted to do them for you. You've done the same for Jerry and your father and mother, all kinds of things that you've forgotten about, but they will never forget. I hope I have. I would like for them to remember me like that. They will. I wish... She swallowed. The way I'll die, I wish they wouldn't ever think of that. I've read how people look who have died in space. Their insides all ruptured and exploded and their lungs out between their teeth. And then, a few seconds later, they're all dry and shapeless and horribly ugly. I don't want them to ever think of me as something dead and horrible like that. You're their own, their child and their sister. They could never think of you other than the way you want them to, the way you looked the last time they saw you. I'm still afraid, she said. I can't help it, but I don't want Jerry to know it. If he gets back in time, I'm going to act like I'm not afraid at all, and... The signal buzzer interrupted her, quick and imperative. Jerry! She came to her feet. It's Jerry now! He spun the volume control knob and asked, Jerry Cross? Yes, her brother answered an undertone of tenseness to his reply. The bad news? What is it? She answered for him, standing close behind him and leaning down a little towards the communicator, her hand resting small and cold on his shoulder. Hello, Jerry. There was only a faint quiver to betray the careful casualness of her voice. I wanted to see you. Marilyn! There was sudden and terrible apprehension in the way he spoke to her. What are you doing on that EDS? I wanted to see you, she said again. I wanted to see you, so I hid on this ship. You hid on it? I'm a stowaway. 
I didn't know what it would mean. Marilyn! It was the cry of a man who calls hopeless and desperate to someone already and forever gone from him. What have you done? I... it's not... And her own composure broke, and the cold little hand gripped his shoulder convulsively. Don't, Jerry. I only wanted to see you. I didn't intend to hurt you. Please, Jerry, don't feel like that. Something warm and wet splashed on his wrist, and he slid out of the chair to help her into it and swing the microphone down to her level. Don't feel like that. Don't let me go, knowing you feel like that. The sob she tried to hold back choked in her throat, and her brother spoke to her. Don't cry, Marilyn. His voice was suddenly deep and infinitely gentle, with all the pain held out of it. Don't cry, sis. You mustn't do that. It's all right, honey. Everything is all right. I... Her lower lip quivered and she bit into it. I didn't want you to feel that way. I just wanted us to say goodbye because I have to go in a minute. Sure, sure. That's the way it will be, sis. I didn't mean to sound the way I did and his voice changed to a tone of quick and urgent demand. EDS, have you called the Stardust? Did you check with the computers? I called the Stardust almost an hour ago. It can't turn back. There are no other cruisers within forty light years, and there isn't enough fuel. Are you sure that the computers had the correct data? Sure of everything? Yes. Do you think I could ever let it happen if I wasn't sure? I did everything I could do. If there was anything at all I could do now, I would do it. He tried to help me, Jerry. Her lower lip was no longer trembling, and the short sleeves of her blouse were wet where she had dried her tears. No one can help me, and I'm not going to cry any more, and everything will be all right with you and Daddy and Mama, won't it? Sure. Sure it will. We'll make out fine. Her brother's words were beginning to come in more faintly, and he turned the volume control to maximum. He's going out of range, he said to her. He'll be gone within another minute. You're fading out, Jerry, she said. You're going out of range. I wanted to tell you, but I can't now. We must say goodbye so soon. But maybe I'll see you again. Maybe I'll come to you in your dreams with my hair in braids and crying because the kitten in my arms is dead. Maybe I'll be the touch of a breeze that whispers to you as it goes by. Maybe I'll be one of those gold-winged larks you told me about, singing my silly head off to you. Maybe at times I'll be nothing you can see, but you will know I'm there beside you. Think of me like that, Jerry. Always like that, and not the other way. Dimmed to a whisper by the turning of Woden, the answer came back. Always like that, Marilyn. Always like that, and never any other way. Our time is up, Jerry. I have to go now. Good. Her voice broke in mid-word, and her mouth tried to twist into crying. She pressed her hand hard against it, and when she spoke again, the words came clear and true. Goodbye, Jerry. 
faint and ineffably poignant and tender, the last words came from the cold metal of the communicator. Goodbye, little sister. She sat motionless in the hush that followed as though listening to the shadow echoes of the words as they died away. Then she turned away from the communicator towards the airlock, and he pulled down the black lever beside him. The inner door of the airlock slid swiftly open to reveal the bare little cell that was waiting for her, and she walked to it. She walked with her head up and the brown curls brushing her shoulders, with the white sandals stepping as sure and steady as the fractional gravity would permit, and the gilded buckles twinkling with little lights of blue and red and crystal. He let her walk alone and made no move to help her, knowing she would not want it that way. She stepped into the airlock and turned to face him, only the pulse in her throat to betray the wild beating of her heart. I'm ready, she said. He pushed the lever up and the door slid its quick barrier between them, enclosing her in black and utter darkness for her last moments of life. It clicked as it locked in place and he jerked down the red lever. There was a slight waver to the ship as the air gushed from the lock, a vibration to the wall as though something had bumped the outer door in passing. And there was nothing, and the ship was dropping true and steady again. He shoved the red lever back to close the door on the empty airlock and turned away, to walk to the pilot's chair with the slow steps of a man old and weary. Back in the pilot's chair he pressed the signal button of the normal space transmitter. There was no response. He had expected none. Her brother would have to wait through the night until the turning of Woden permitted contact through Group 1. It was not yet time to resume deceleration, and he waited while the ship dropped endlessly downwards with him, and the drives purred softly. He saw that the white hand of the supplies closet temperature was on zero. A cold equation had been balanced, and he was alone on the ship. Something shapeless and ugly was hurrying ahead of him, going to Woden, where its brother was waiting through the night. But the empty ship still lived for a little while with the presence of the girl who had not known about the forces that killed with neither hatred nor malice. It seemed almost that she still sat, small and bewildered and frightened, on the metal box beside him, her words echoing hauntingly clear in the void she had left behind her. I didn't do anything to die for. I didn't do anything. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Evan. We're going to talk about the cold equations and uh, perhaps the ones who walk away from Omelus by uh, Definitely, we're going to talk about that. All right. Uh, and um, and the other ones by Tom Godwin. Uh, I'd never read The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelus before this week, but I had read The Cold Equations a long time ago, and I've been lying about it. No, lying. That's not the right word for it. Um, wrong about it and what I've been saying about it for years and years. I've been saying that uh, it's a very important story, but it's not very well written and that uh, everybody needs to read it because it's important. Uh, I, I was wrong. What I would like to say now and correct the record, it's actually a very well written story. It is long, which is a problem. I have a lot of stories. It, might be considered overly long, 
But for what it's doing, I think it's actually very effective. And everybody who dislikes the cold equations can fight me. Because it's a good so you story. Hold, you didn't change the other opinion that it's important. No, no. It's well, definitely I important. Say it's it's well written, but totally And uh, one one of the things I discovered this week is, you know, people were saying, Oh, he's not even original and I I I sent you guys the EC Comics uh Weird Science May June uh story called uh May June nineteen fifty two story called A Weighty Decision which has an element very much like the cold equations. Um, it's a different story, but it has a stowaway. It's a female and they put her out the airlock. Um, but I, I think it's way different enough in tone and the way it's done by Tom Godwin with the whip hand of uh, John W. Campbell in the background is mm-hmm. a better story, at least in the sense that this is an EC comic story, so it's it's supposed to be ghoulish and silly and fun, whereas the way it's done in Tom Godwin's Cold Equations, it's actually existential, and there's some clunkiness here and there, but actually it's quite smooth and quite well-written. So, fight me, Paul. <laughs> if you disagree cuz uh, a lot of people don't like this story and uh I I got to say Did you uh, did you did you listen to the response story I sent you? Which one? There's so many. The cold calculations? Uh I think I read that one. Wasn't that on uh Clark's World? It was. Yeah, I think I had I think I had uh that was maybe 2 weeks ago. Yeah. Um yeah, I did. Um I think that that is a response story, indeed. I don't think it's um, particularly weighty, but it it's dealing really with a different idea, right? It's it's a response. It's not a criticism, and I um, guess you could see it as a I criticism. Think, I, I, I think I think it's very much a criticism of the premises and how I'm how, not sure um, and how the cold equations is set up. Well, well, Paul, can you tell me how? Because I didn't read it. Can you tell me the how? The cold it calculations. Responds? Who's the author? The, the cold cal- Amy Ogden. Okay. Go so, for so, it. And then, so, I'll, then I'll say what I what so, I feel. So I'll, I'll, read, I'll, read the first pa- I'll read the first paragraph because that first paragraph kind of gives away the thesis. Once upon a time, a little girl had to die. It's just math. Wrong craze, wrong time. Bad luck. Too bad. So sad. We've all heard such stories, told them, shared them, collected them. Not in the way that we collect trinkets. More like how a sock collects holes. We're submerged in such stories. We breathe them in like carbon dioxide. Poisonous in the long term, but a fact of life nonetheless. But stories have authors, from the gauziest fantasy to grim autobiography. And then once upon a time becomes so, so many times, sure someone must think to ask, had to die? On whose authority? It's simple physics, of course. Natural law. Unless, of course, somebody's been fudging the numbers. Mm. That's yeah, how I read story. that far into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know how this story actually argues this i guess my feeling is it's it's kind of like someone giving you the trolley problem and you saying like well the trolley the why, trolley problem the, yeah, yeah the, the trolley, trolley problem, problem. Yeah, that's what the and someone's problem saying and then someone's saying well why couldn't there be a third track with no one on it you know or why couldn't they've engineered better brakes it's like that's not really the point mm. that's the, been the traditional the response isn't, to this story. The point isn't to go around it it's to actually just face the moral calculus i don't know the story is designed to elicit a very specific thing 
an idea about reality that most people are not willing to accept. And this is what makes it controversial. It always has been. I've always thought that. The only difference now is like, I, I'm, I read a lot more stories since I first read it. And I remembered it being long. And I also remember it being kind of like clunky. But it's not that clunky. And in fact, it's quite beautiful in places. The language is, you know, it's not ultra poetic. But uh, it's simple. And it has this really interesting, um, you know, psychology that makes, like, it, it. it's supposed to be a cold story, right? But actually, it's it, it starts that way. It starts kind of rough because, and, and most adaptations try and fiddle with the opening um, where he's, you know, he's going to open the closet and kill some uh, dude, some stowaway, some criminal. And it turns out, oh, it's a girl. And that changes the story. So that's an artifact, and it makes it appear sort of silly. But actually, this is, you know, it's like, it's it's just a fact. If you get a pancreatic cancer, you're dead, right? Yeah, there are survivors. What percentage? Look at the number. Virtually zero, right? And it's, and it's survivor over how long a period, right? Five years. Granted. Right. So we, we have a wish fulfillment in our life that everything's going to be kissed and made better. And until you're disabused of that by the pain of life, um, it's hard to, hard to feel it. And I think a lot of people don't want to be disabused of it. <laughs> and we continue the lie with Santa Claus, you know, Santa Claus is real and God will save us and all that stuff. But there are some hard facts about reality. John W. Campbell's insisting on this when he's talking to his his uh, trainee here. And he was right to, because that is a true thing. And when we say, yeah, the numbers are fudged to make this terrible thing happen, I say, yeah, they were. But also capitalist realism. I kept thinking about how there is no alternative, right? Uh, this, this guy Barton, he's not a soldier exactly. He's an employee in a certain sense. He is more like a quasi merchant marine than anything else. And he's not doing it because he wants to do it. He's doing it because he has to. And if you look at the world building in the story, uh, the girl, her parents aren't making enough money at their shop. That's clear by the way the story's written. The brother is out there on the frontier sending money back to the parents. Right, remittances, yeah. Right? And she, you know, she's been shielded from the truth over time by her brother. And perhaps if he had been a little more harsh with her and not replaced that kitten with a fake one, she would have not got on that ship and blah, um, blah, 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 blah. I'm not sure that's a reading I can accept. If, if he didn't replace the kitten, she wouldn't have died. That's that's a really true. She says it's a metaphor for the whole story, right? The thing is, is he, he was trying to shield her from pain, and he did. Uh, and it wasn't until later she un, you know understood what he had done for her. And the thing, that's what we all do. We shield each other from the pain of reality by making jokes, by saying kind words, by, you know, giving someone a cup of coffee or tea or whatever. 
But really, we're all going to die. And anybody who lies to you about that is a fucking liar. And it's going to hurt you somehow. Right? And that's the point of the story. But it's in the setting where science fiction can sort of do something interesting. This Did you guys read that comic book adaptation, A Weighty Decision? I didn't have a chance. Yeah, no. I did. I read it. What did you think of it? Um, yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a little more silly and and it's comic-y. I mean, it, 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 the response to it could be very similar to the response to this story, right? Like, why didn't someone check the chip before or whatever? But mm-hmm. um, it, it ultimately does make the same judgment. It just it's, it, this adds to it with the you know the medicine stuff. Mm-hmm. You know this. It's just uh, the trip. It to is Mars. a trolley it's just Three problem. lives versus one, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I found them quite similar. I don't know necessarily means it was plagiarized. I don't. I, I even if it was, I, I I'm still saying Tom Godwin's version is yeah. is a one to yeah. watch, and it's the one that hit, and and it's not plagiarized. Um, yeah. Uh, in the sense that if he read it, he said, that's great. And he changed it. And more importantly, it sounds like John W. Campbell, uh, shaped the story. I do not know the background for this. I, it's just what I've read and such. Um, not seeing the primary documents on that. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, follow through on your fucking idea sort of thing. Don't, don't, uh, tap out. Don't do the stupid, um, Doc, uh, E.E. E. Doc Smith stuff where we, we get ourselves into an impossible situation and we just invent our way out of it. You can't invent your way yeah, out of the laws of fucking physics, right? And, the and idea. both, I think, are, are like in the context of like, of the Second World War. It's like, yeah, so those daylight bombing raids the U.S. did, they had like the 4% loss rate. And mm. that was like, no matter what, right? And people kind of experienced that for a generation, what that meant. It's, I don't know. So I think it's, it's just, it, yeah, maybe the, the, the engineering's bad. That's what people always say, right? Yeah, the engineering the, here is bad. Yeah. But that's the, 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 but the physics is good. Okay, fine. But the, the reality is, is correct. I think that's, I, I, mean, I, if, I don't if, think if, if you can get if away you, from if, that. If you, if you want, if you want to take, take the premise as fact that yes, we have to have these ships to have, such thin margins for anything then 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 there follows then yes if there if there's even a hundred some odd pounds extra weight the ship will crash so therefore she must die well paul how many people are going to die on the commute tomorrow Mm -hmm. in the world and in the united states lots yes a a not insignificant number and that's just worked in um okay Okay. Doing business, right? Yeah, the thing is, is all the EDS shuttles with no uh, stowaways are not stories, right? So we picked the one where somebody didn't do the inspection properly. I, I watched that movie Stowaway, um, which, mm-hmm. by the way, is way closer to a weighty decision than uh, than um, uh, Cold Equations, <laughs> which is interesting because they're both connected in a certain sense. Um, because it's got three, um, it's got two women and a man, uh, as the crew of the ship. And then they find a, an extra man who's black and not a white girl, um, who accidentally stowed away. He like was 
it was kind of stupid setup. He accidentally stowed away and they try to, you know, do the thing where they throw stuff out the airlock or whatever. Um, but it doesn't work and somebody has to die and who has to die doesn't really matter as much as somebody has to die. And in this case, uh, the being stowed away, there is no, um, on purpose. It's only an accident. So nobody literally is to blame, right? Whereas in this story, she made a mistake. She disobeyed the sign thinking, blah, 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 blah. Now, maybe the sign should have said, you will fucking die if you go in this fucking locker, you fuck. And then if she had ignored that, then we'd feel less bad about having her thrown out the airlock. But well, yes. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, don't, don't walk away from that point. I mean, there there is an argument to be made that, and Amy Amy Ogden's story kind of puts it as like, it, I mean, it's basically a bean counter on Earth killed her, mm-hmm. not the guy on the ship. The bean counter on Earth who cut the corners is the ultimate person responsible. Capitalism. For capitalism yeah and it's pretty hard to blame capitalism and get away with it right <laughs> well well, well a, 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 amy a, amy okay so if you didn't read the story so i I'm did spo- i did okay oh, i know evan did so yeah so at the end of the story there's a u catastrophe and it turns out there the ship can land after all i i i and, and i know i know she i know she's taking the piss there like this there's, there's no physics reasons why the ship is like because he says like that's impossible yep how could it happen couldn't have and yet it's a, it's a, so it's a, when a miracle hands your life back to you what do you do with that how can you never pay it back and so so so, so the the pilot's going to go back to earth and flip some tables because the the entire premise yeah like, but are they really because that's the point of that mark fisher book is there is no alternative Right, revolution is the alternative, and uh, honestly, and, 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 and may, maybe that's what maybe that's what Alvarez is going to spark. I mean, it only takes one person to start a revolution. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that really true? Or is that every just revolution a starts point? with every revolution starts with one person? Does it? I think so. I mean, everything starts with one person. One person has an idea, or or weakens the idea, and others and things. Tom go Godwin's on. wholly responsible for this story. <laughs> there was this guy named John W. Campbell. And you know, the story I always compared it to is not a weighty decision by, I don't know, somebody, Wally Wood was the artist, I don't know who wrote it, um, is a story by Jack London called um, To Build a Fire, which is very much like a single person's version. Uh, you know, there's only one character yeah. really well, well, and well, a dog well, well, no there's the, isn't there the, the, a, a the better example a character so there's two characters there's better i was going to think you're going somewhere else with the jack story the one where i guess there's a couple in those yukon stories mm-hmm. one where the the old man has to walk off into the into to die or something and there's another where they have to kill one of the members of the group I don't know the kill the members of the group one. There's oh well, there is a story um where the oh that's actually a pretty good one too. Now that yeah. I think about it, there's there's a but that one is a little it, it it's it complicates things because it turns out they didn't actually need to kill him. <laughs> so they shove yeah. somebody out the airlock and then 
Uh, I'll try and remember the name of that one. But let me let me talk about bu- To Build a Fire for and a that, second. And that makes me think of Star Trek V for a moment. Uh, well, Star Trek Two and No, 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 with... no, 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 no. Not Star Trek II, Star Trek V. Yes, I understand why, why you're going there, but Star Trek II precedes it. And it it is a cold equation story, right, at the um, end. Yes. Um, and, 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 and then and, it's and, reversed for Star Trek Three. Right, right. They they they, they walk because back. Vulcans. <laughs> well, well, because, because Catras. Because, because capitalism. <laughs> well, Catras. Yeah. I mean, you can't kill Spock forever. Like that's just not going to work. I'm sorry, listeners, if you've been spoiled for Star Trek Two, but we've spoiled you for Star Trek Two. Spock dies. Wow. I'm, I'm mocking. I'm mocking your own spoiling thing there, Jesse. Well, thank you for but mocking. But Star me. Trek Five. For listeners who haven't seen it, and may probably less listeners have, I the only one time I ever skipped school in high school was to go see the premiere of Star Trek V. Boy, was that a mistake! Anyway, so so Spock's half brother, who basically tries to basically mind control the crew with their emotions and all this other stuff, has this whole thing with McCoy about his father being sick, and basically his gave him euthanasia and then a few years a couple years later a cure for what was ailing his father came out and mccoy's been guilty guilt has been feeling guilt about that ever since if if he if he hadn't killed his father then his father would you remember this movie far better than i do uh i i just have a rat pack brain jesse I haven't seen Star Trek Five in many years, but that part. I I was thinking it was time to watch it as as sort of a remedy for modern Star Trek, but um, um the, <laughs> I might be disappointed, but I can't imagine I would be given how uh, modern Star Trek is going. <clears throat> uh, so Evan rightly pointed to the wisdom of the trail, uh, which yeah, is, I don't remember much about the story, but it, I think I remember it fairly up. well. Yeah. Basically, there's a bunch of uh, people going up to the Yukon to make their fortune. They've got an Indian guide, um, and the Indian guide has been paid to take them uh, up the trail. But they're lazy fucks, and they're soft. And he's got two assistants who are also uh, lazy fucks, and they they have a really difficult path ahead of them. And he learned his lessons from the white man incredibly well, this uh, uh, main character. Um, and his job is to get those uh, white assholes up the fucking trail to get where they need to be so that he can get his pay. Uh, but he, he's learned it so well that he's adopted the white man's logic. And so um, when he catches uh, a couple of his people uh, not carrying the white people... Um, but rather eat, eating the food that needs to be reserved for the trail, um, he executes one of them. Uh, and it's because they won't have enough food and energy, thus, to get to where they need to be if the food is eaten and the people aren't carried. And so he executes them, this person, and then uh, turns out there was another party ahead and the food is available. So it's a, I chucked somebody out the airlock story, but without, um, without having it needed to be done. It was an estimation, right? Rather than a, a calculation. And it, it, it's a complicated story, Evan, because it has this moral overlay, which this story 
has a moral overlay, but it's a, it's a much different one. Um, so mm-hmm. when I go to look at Jack London stories, I always think of to build a fire, which is about a guy who didn't, uh, obey a sign, right? Some guy who had been yeah. in the Yukon before said, you can't understand how fucking cold it gets out there. Do not go there. If you get your, if you get wet, uh, in crossing a river this time of year, you will die. And that's exactly what happens. And he, he just doesn't quite comprehend it. Uh, because he wants to go to a party at somebody else's house or whatever the reason is, the dog has more wisdom than the man in this case because it it follows its instinct, whereas the man is following a, his own plan. Um, like the girl has this imagine imagination of what it means to disobey the sign. The sign was there as a piece of wisdom, and she thought, I'll have to pay a fine or I'll get in trouble. And, and she's that, willing to pay that fine to see her brother. Yeah. Right. But that, but that fine is the cost of her life. So in, in the X minus one adaptation, they do something I think incredibly stupid, which is they turn her into the wife of the brother instead of, so she's an adult woman and she's the wife of the brother. Uh, therefore she's just a dumb adult. Whereas in this case, the whole point of the story is that she's young and therefore innocent. And it shouldn't be fair for her, you know, Barton to kill her. And so that enhances in the same way that uh, having the uh, fuel, uh, ha- sorry, having the vaccine enhances or well, the medicine well, enhances the, well, wait, so, the so, problem. So you're saying that changing it to the wife isn't fair? No, I'm saying it's stupid because it hurts the story. Wife- because well, she's an adult, and then their pain isn't as bad. Just like it, if it's a black guy, it's not as uh, bad as if it's a white girl. You see? The reason it's a white girl in the story is because we, as 1950s uh, uh, astounding readers, are white guys, and we revere nothing more than white girls, apparently. So... If they had changed it to an adult man, that would have made the story stupid. Er, than it is if, if for the point that they're, they're trying to make, they're trying to make it it's innocent in the same way that the kitten is innocent, right? So if you change it to a dude, which they did in that uh, movie adaptation of Stowaway, mm-hmm. um, it's just because you can flip the script. And I actually did this. I went to. Uh, the text and I just, whenever it said, um, uh, Barton, I said, uh, uh, wherever it said he, I just made it she. And then I had the guy, um, uh, the, the girl in the closet become a guy. And you know what effect it has? It makes the story stupid. <laughs> if Why he's an adult, if he's an adult man, um, and there's a, uh, girl Barton, um, we don't feel it in the same way that we're supposed to feel it. The point of the story is to make us, to hit us in the feels about something we really need to understand. Um, and that's the same reason it should be paired up with the ones who walk away from Omelas. Imagine if it's Hitler in the basement, Paul. How do you feel about uh, living in Omelas now? It, there's, there's still more quandary to. Not many are going to walk away, are they? Um, not 
as many. I think there are people who will walk away from Almohan. <laughs> who? A, 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 the um, Azov Battalion. <laughs> That's it. Um, I mean, I'm no. It's, I mean, even, even the worst person in history, and 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 Hitler is arguably maybe number three or four on that list. I mean, Genghis Jesse, Khan. Jesse's look, number one. Genghis no, Khan number thinking, two. I was thinking. I was thinking Stalin, Genghis Khan. Wow. Um, um, Tamerlane is Tamerlane. Alexander's lots pretty of bad. People. Yeah. What's that? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. Don't so forget both Bushes. They were pretty bad. Um, Julius Caesar. Yeah, Julius he, he Caesar depopulated a, a whole country. Yeah, so, okay, so, and enslaved so, the rest. So, so some bad it, person is in the basement. I mean, eternal torture for that bad person. <laughs> is, to make your is it supposed to be eternal? Um, I think that I mean the the story doesn't say, but it's it clear, clearly um clearly it's the whole idea of a sin eater and. The person at that nexus basically exists there to make Omolas happy, and they're never getting out of it. I mean, maybe they get out of it by death, but then you just have to have another one. I mean, they, in the story, they make it clear that the person's basically been turned into a... Uh, it's a much in, more meta story like like this cold calculations than it is a regular story. Oh, it's very much—it's very much a thought yeah. experiment, which I thought is why you'd like it. It's very much a thought experiment. If if you if you took one person and subjected them to the to, ho- to horror for ev- forever, so that millions could be happy, is that it, it gets a whole idea? We were talking about the trolley problem, which makes me think of the good place, which brings us back to utilitarianism, which is, is a story about is it is the good or Star Trek two is the good of the many outweigh the good of the one. I mean, for 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 a yeah. child, it's horrible, and you know, people walk away from us. Is it if you stick Stalin or any other evil person in there? Is it does it is that still a good thing? <laughs> well, Dude, I, I think that gets away a little bit from what Liquin's trying to do there. I don't. I think she's. I'm. I, I, I'm. She, it's she, not she, a utopia. That's the thing. It's even no, at no, the cost of this. It's not a utopia. The utopia is whatever alternative there there is created by the ones who walk away. So it's a challenge to us to do better and yes. to it's not a it's it's not quite the Charlie problem that I think the coal equation is. No, it's a meta, it's a meta story. It's not a story. She even says, you know, like, if you don't like that, imagine this. And I loved how she yeah. threw in orgies for Evan and Evan's like, great, this is my town. Yeah. It's what you're basically it's imagining it, you, know, if you can Drugs, have what you want if, if you need that that seed of seed of evil to make that happen. Is that good? Is it still worth it? Which yes. is why she says, "Well, if you imagine this for the city, you can imagine this. You can imagine whatever you want for the city." She's inviting you to imagine your imagine the place that you want, but here's the cost. Is that cost worth it? No, I mean she 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 picks a child because in the same way as you were saying that we pick a young girl for the cold equation, she is definitely pressing a, an emotional button there. Because if it was an old man, Hitler, Tamerlan, Hitler's whoever, in, in the closet on the EDS ship. Uh, the story is like a page long. Hitler was in the closet. I threw him out the airlock. <laughs> Done, right? That's the point. <laughs> is 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 we need to dwell. We need to dwell on this problem. And so, like the little things that are done in the story, like she says, uh, "It's cold in here," 
it's a little cold, isn't it? And he yeah. he looks at the gauge and says, "Yes, it is," even though it isn't. It, yeah, he he lies for her. Yes, that, that was a, that was a that was a poetic, nice touch. Yeah, and uh, the story is actually filled with that. In it, it doesn't start that way, but it 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 really has a lot of really nice imagery, which you know I I sort of spent a lot of time doing that. Uh, for the other podcast, looking at li- really nice imagery and seeing symbology and that sort of thing. Um, I, I've seen, I saw a puppet show adaptation on YouTube. I did a ton of studying for this, guys. Uh, I saw a amateur product, or I guess it was a theatrical stage production in England, uh, done during COVID. I watched all the movie adaptations, the TV adaptations. Um, the original story's better. It's better than pretty much all of them. The only exception I will say is that the Twilight Zone adaptation, which was very good, uh, it's it's really short. It's only 20 minutes or so, and it really hits the points pretty well. The opening and closing narration understand the point of the story, and it's well produced and all that stuff. But the original story is better. The only thing I don't like about the original story is that it's quite long. It's about an hour, right? Whereas you can do it the same story in 20 minutes. Oh, that's cool. I really like that. But it really has something. This story is important. And also it's good. And anybody who's like saying, you know, the physics is is broken, they're wrong. It's not the physics, right? If anybody says it's the engineering is broken, it, that's all that's all talked about in the story you know like these ships are made lean it's a dis in some of the adaptations they say how it's a disposable thing right it's designed and they're not even going to pick him up for like a year so this is this is an emergency right this is like an escape pod basically it's not designed to be a luxury cruiser all of the all of the objections that campbell would have about why the story uh, like I, I feel like it is a Socratic style dialogue where what what happened was uh, Godwin came into the office and he says, "Here's my pitch for the story," um, and he says, "Yeah, except you you fucked it up, and here's how you're going to fix it. You have to think about what's this." And then they have another conversation, and he says, "You got to think about that." And I I doubt this is actually how it was done, you know, like physically in the room and all that stuff, if possible. But that's the that's the result. Because this is the only story by him that has any heft. Um, he has another story called The Nothing Equation, which is his own response to the same story, right? And lots of other people, you know, James Patrick Kelly has a, one in the 80s. There's, like, tons of responses. But the reason they have to respond is because it puts us in an uncomfortable place. And it makes us think. And we're not, a lot of people are not willing to accept the the answer that's the real fundamental problem and that's why it's so important right but but the reason why they're not willing to accept the answer is because they generally generally it's not because they reject physics it's just you reject the they would re, they reject the framing of the of the premise now i wish i wish we did have a core or somebody else here to really talk about what i'm going to talk about here were three dudes so our I assume both of you are familiar with the idea of bridging. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So, in a sense, The Cold Equations is a fridging story. Okay. I, I, and, I'm willing to accept that. And, and, and 
Give, she, she's give, definitely that, cold. <laughs> very, very funny. But I, I, I mean, basically, basically, we're using a female character, basically, to. I mean, and, and who? who I mean, let's put it this way. Let, 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 let's let, let's let's dial back. Like, who is the story meant to be read by? Astounding readers, right? Which probably are predominantly men. Probably, Probably white men in the 1950s, right. is my guess. So, so basically, basically the story is arranged so that we're basically sacrificing a, a young female character for man pain. I mean, it's like basically to, to, yep. to get male the male the male pilot and the male readers to uh, have an emotional arc. Yep, and so yep. that's. That's kind of screwed up. Why? I mean, but by, by, by our current standards, that's pretty. I mean, that be. You want the story to be all things to all people at all times? No, you can have some no. problems because no story I'm can not, stand but, that but, test. But the, but the whole the whole point of the of the theory of women in refrigerators is that this happens way way too often. That too often. Let's lean to oh yes let's let's have something horrible hor- have horrible happen to a woman so men can have emotional arcs and so this story fits in that sort of tradition of oh we gotta hurt a woman f- for this story to work I mean I mean the, the man the hurts too of, what's that Barton ain't happy about it either the brother's no, not but, happy but, nobody's but, but happy in the, but in the end but in the end where the readers we're the ones that get to experience that i mean the original the original story basically one of the the things original bridging is basically having having gluey girlfriend dead and in a fridge yeah to basically move him forward in an emotional way which it's it's it's, but that's also a a series where that's the whole point of series is to add drama this is not a series this is a one and done it, it is not it's not a series but it but if you take it if you take it as a sum over histories of stories and series doing this again and again and again, it, it it's it, it's it's a very screwed up sort of way to write stories. In it's it's a tradition that it's a tradition that is wouldn't wouldn't. I mean, if I tried to submit a story like this to any of the magazines here today, I'd be laughed out of the room mm. or, or or vilified. And I mean, this is not the kind of. That but they do this, uh, Paul. They also do this with the trolley problem too, right? Where they they give the people on the tracks characters, right? They'll say, "So, what if the pers- the one person is your mother, and the other two are just people you never met, right?" Mm-hmm. So there's this that that uh, story that Stephen King co-wrote, where it's like you push a button and something horrible happens to someone. You never the, the, see. The, bu- the button unit, yeah, story. Wendy's button box, yeah, and or. What if it's like the one person on the track is like a little girl, and the other two people well, are are workers on the tracks? Yeah, but, but, do you, but those do you gen- then change it? No, but, but those but those generally are done in a much more abstract way than say than than creating full fledged characters that we're going to stick in a fridge, as it were. I just, it, I'm, just, I'm asking Paul. I, I agree with you. This is a fridging situation i just don't know how the story works otherwise i think that was jesse's point before yeah, if it's, a, well, if it's an adult man what about okay does it work as a if it's a if it's a 17 year old male maybe um, not as much in that case that's why i think you're probably right i, I mean i think but, a, I, I think like a six-year-old kid boy kid would work 
but that that's also horrible, you know, horrible and terrible. Yeah. But, but I mean, it avoids some of the, I mean, if, if, if it, it changed, I mean, I think that's a, something that's a way that the story might be, I don't know, palatable is the right it, 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 it feels <laughs> like, it it's feels not supposed to be palatable. It, it's it supposed to hurt like, you. It, yes, but. It, it feels oh, okay. It feels I, I cruel, not, right? I am not. I am not the person because I am not versed in gender studies and science fiction at all. I took really, a gender you know, studies course, here. but I mean, I mean, there's, there's 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 theories of thoughts and critique about gender studies and science fiction that have a lot to say about the cold equations, and I am not qualified to to make those arguments for those people. Unfortunately, I wish we had one of them on here. But, I guess I, I get the feeling that a lot of this, these criticisms and responses boil down to like, we don't want the story to exist. You know, basically, there's got to be a way to save the kid, yeah. right? And that kind of destroys the point. So yeah, maybe there's, it's maybe you could have chose not a, a a young girl, young woman. She's 18, right? Well, she's 18 in the Twilight Zone. Yeah. So they they wait, um, they up and down her age. But she's but supposed to be a, know, a young kid. Reason? What's the reason for trying to undo this story and not just accepting it as what it is? Because it's a, rejecting the conclusion. So you reject the premise yeah. because you want to reject the conclusion. But the conclusion is solid because the premises are, are solid. So uh, y'all mm. uh, thinking, Paul, think about you, what you you were asking. Who is this for? Right? It's for pe- the readers of Astounding. Who are they? Well, uh, if you go by the reportage of, you know, people who later, you know, thought they were uh, uh, claimed to be astounding readers, a lot of engineers, a lot of people who are engineers read this mag. And what are they thinking? They're thinking, you know, it'd be good to have redundant systems. <laughs> it'd be good to engineer in an extra little bit of stuff. And so it, when Apollo 13 happens, they fuck up, right? Is it like, oh, shit? We just like it is almost a cold equation scenario. They don't have enough air. This is actually the premise of stowaway right. as opposed to the premise of uh, cold equations. It's not fuel; it's air. They so they try and use algae, blah blah blah. Well, when it came to saving three dudes in space on their way to the moon, uh, they saw what they had on the ship and they clutched together something that worked and. They, you know, aborted the mission, but they saved the crew. This is all good stuff. And the reason you need to do this stuff is because of exactly the problem. Uh, failures of imagination, not failures of empathy. This story is full of empathy. Empathy informs your engineering is the idea, right? So when, uh, what's that stupid, um, when Challenger disaster happens, they says so the O rings. Right, start the talking o- about the yeah, O rings, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, then and, and since O rings are something that my company works with, yes, Challenger comes up right. all the time. So eventually, they they have the final report, and somebody says the magic words: "It was a failure of imagination." Right? We just didn't think this set of circumstances would it's, have come. It's, 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 it's mm-hmm. very poor engineering because I'm reading the Wikipedia article and. On, on this story and I mean it's like and, and, and that seems to be I mean that's I mean there 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 is a there's a gender response which I'm not qualified as mm-hmm. I said but the, but the engineering response that, that this is terrible engineering 
it's 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 solid physics, but it's terrible engineering. Like how did Gary how, Westfall is the thing you're quoting, right? Right. Is he is he is he is he an authority? He's an engineer himself. So. Is Cory Doctor an authority? Um, I don't know Cory Doctorow's. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't need someone else I, I, to tell me whether the story is good or bad engineering because the story tells me it is engineered well, in Cor- this Cor- way, right? Cor- so it's like it's 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 the why do we have these terrible trolleys? <laughs> Why are people tied to the trolley track? <laughs> and the the main the, I say I, I absolutely agree. But once you're in the spaceship, <laughs> like the, but, but, you're but, on, but, but, you're driving but, but, in the car down the highway, right? It's too yes, late. It, it's too it, late it, to it, complain it, about the engineering. That's uh, that would no, be one it, thing, Paul. That would be one thing that would fix the story. Is if Barton had said, you know what, this engineering was terrible. <laughs> like if he had just shouted it out. Um, Instead of having the narrator say, you know, and, uh, margins and, are thin on the frontier so many times, which I, I'm not a fan of that right, part of the story. Right, right. If he had, because, because if he had literally because, called it out, then everybody would have had had to say, you know, the engineering being terrible is it's. Well, yeah. Yeah. Margins on the frontier. I mean, I mean, that, that that's 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 Barton excusing the situation now. Now, we know. No, that's in, not Barton. Like, that's the narrator. The narrator excusing that's they make an excuse for the situation. Now in in Ogden's cold calculations, they basically explain yes, this this, this is terrible engineering because because the bean counters are on Earth, which makes it more. I mean, even without the U catastrophe, it makes it more palatable because they're actually pointing like yes, this is terribly done. There's no one should they should never have built this the ship like that. He should I mean, have called out capitalism. Yeah. Uh, and then or, the story or, would have or, been or, or, or cold out or cold up. I mean, I mean, no, but the, I mean, if you have an alternate cold equations where you call where where you where you basically call out, yes, this is ter- a terribly <laughs> engineered ship. While he's flushing her out the airlock, that's the point. Is he's he says, you know, he I'm Barton. Okay, I say, um, uh, what's her name? Mary Lou Cross. What is that? What's her first name? Mary Lee Cross. Mary Lee Mar- Marilyn. 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 Say oh, Marilyn. I'm really sorry this had to happen to you. Capitalism sucks. And then he pulls the lever. No. <laughs> that no, doesn't no. make the story better. No, 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 but but it but it it, it doesn't it, deliver the the solution that you you want it to no, deliver. It, it it doesn't deliver the solution, but it at least refra- it frames it frames it in a way that recognizes the how, okay, I'm going to curse the fucked up nature of the premise. Like, okay, yeah. I we I think we all agree that the the premise is a little fucked up, but it's a really good replica of of uh, of our world. Real I think problem in reality. I that's why I don't like these engineering responses are probably the worst of them because it's saying it's essentially saying Elon Musk could save us. Like, take any problem, climate change or or oh, traffic or whatever. It's like, oh, we just need better engineering. We just need – the technocrats will save us, right? And we don't have to actually deal with the profound moral consequences of the world we built up. We can just uh, – we can just uh, give enough, you know, give enough power to the technocratic class and they'll do a better ship next time. And that, and that's that's how it ties into that other story, right? So the fact that everybody in Omalas uh, knows mm-hmm. about this kid in the basement, 
Um, if you're living in Omelas, which we all do, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. Uh, that is the if point. you're living in Omelas and you know about this kid uh, rotting in the basement and feeling terrible and uh, you know that somehow, uh, I don't know how, but somehow you benefit from that. Um, and yeah, you that's, that's important to point out. There's no way out. I mean, it's very clear. The rules of the game are this kid must be in the basement. Mm-hmm. I, 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 and, I mean, it's very, I, I mean, it's 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 the cold equation. Yes, the kid the kid must be in the basement. That's how the mm-hmm. the premise is set up. Right. And so if you, you if you are it. if you are if you are cool with this, which we're told a lot of people in OMLS are, right, the ones who don't walk away, then you're cool fucking there. Their goodness, like there's a wonderful line there, like their goodness to their own children is because the kid in the basement. Right. They can't love their children quite the same way without that kid in the basement. Yeah. It's really quite beautiful. It is. a poet. Oh, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautifully written story. Um, and it's simple, which I like. Um, but it also reminds me a lot of, uh, the logic of that terrible Mm -hmm. movie called, uh, A Few Good Men, where you've got, uh, Jack Nicholson delivering that speech, right? Where he says, if it wasn't for guys like me running Guantanamo, Guantanamo, you'd be living under fucking commies. It's like, you believe that dude, right? It's, it's the, we're the thin blue line between you and, and horror, horror. So yeah, you better be happy that I'm whipping that kid in the basement. Like, um, yeah. Can't we, um, can't we like not do that? Can't we, um, like try and minimize the whipping of kids in basements? And more importantly, uh, isn't it our responsibility to look at the horror that we are funding? Look at the horror that we are acknowledging and say, uh, you're willing to live with this? You fuck. I don't want to live with you. It is making the, the whole point of this, that story is to make you look at the horrible thing that you, you're li- willing to live with. And he says, whatever you, whatever you think is wonderful. You, you like chocolate? We got chocolate. <laughs> you like puppies? We got puppies. You like orgies? You got orgies. Yeah. You, you drugs. Whatever you want. Uh, religion? Yeah, uh, it's, it's not for me, but you know, spiritualism. Maybe okay. You do you. <laughs> That's right. Yoga. You like yoga? We got yoga. Uh, but it all depends upon, uh, torturing some kid in a basement and making that kid feel lonely and festering sores, right? Uh, is a completely different kind of attack on reality. And I don't think everybody's upset with Omelas in the same way that they're upset with Cold Equations. I think oh, part they're, of... But there are def- definitely reaction stories to Omelas, too. Oh, I agree. But they're not... Yeah, ups- I actually, I studied up on one. Yeah, which one did you study? I studied up on Jeminson's. I couldn't find an audio version of it. Okay. But, uh, it... And I, I didn't like, I, I listened to reviews of it, to be honest, um, and commentary on it. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like she's created this, uh, uh, utopia that's heavy emphasis on diversity and, and equality it is in her utopia. Mm-hmm. And there's a, essentially the response is if anyone has any ideas like that verge from that, they're executed. So it's, it's like a, it's a very like liberal kind of response Ooh. to it. That's very much accepting of like institutionalized violence. As long as no one knows of it, it's like it's kind of hidden away. Wow. That's freaky, man. 
That's a um, that's quite so a instead response. Of walking away, but the, the premise is like instead of walking away, you stay and reform it and change it. But the only way to reform it is through a, something that's even more horrific. So, so you denounce Raytheon uh, as you stand I, in front I, I of think, the platform. I don't know if she's sympathetic with her own utopia, though. I, that's I mean, really I scary. No, no, I don't think she's sympathetic with her own utopia. Is that a short story? Yeah, it's about the same length, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, interesting. What was the other one? There was another one. Um, uh, oh, there was the one that I heard about on Twitter. Yeah, the Twitter it, one by I went, Olaf. I went back to... I went back Rockney. to... Um, is that the one? Yeah, it's the uh, Edmonton guy, Olaf Rockney, um, about the the one that was going to be... I sent it to you, Evan. I said... Um, it's gonna. Oh, yeah, somebody Hugo, said Hugo Book Club. Yes, yeah. but somebody yeah, was the, saying I'm going to nominate this for the next Hugo uh, related oh, oh, work. Oh, you talking about? Oh, you talking Google Books? Uh, Cougars are in. Cougars are in. <laughs> no, is it? The, the, I'm thinking of the one where they say like, let's let's just vote voters. The solutions in voting. Oh, I don't think I read that one. I couldn't find I'm, I'm that. Sorry about one. that. My Google thing went cuckoo because we were talking so vociferously. Yeah. Hmm. So, so the one, the one about uh, the Worldcon. Worldcon, yeah. So, um, I read that one. I don't remember the details that much, but ultimately, in the end, um, it's like some people can go to Omalas for the Worldcon. Some people don't, but don't that one. But don't, uh, but uh, you know, it's everybody's choice, and uh, we got to respect their choices. I'm like, no. No, no, that's not what he's saying at no. all. Do you, do you no, tell me. No, no, no. That's he, what I remember taking, from it. He's, he's taking the piss on people who are saying, oh, Wilcon's in, Wilcon's in a terrible place and we have this, we have, we have this, uh, person wants to kill Ukrainians as a guest of honor, but we can't do anything about it. To, I mean, I mean, I mean, well, Facebook he, says taking, it's fine. Instagram I mean, says it's fine to call for the death of Russians now. So what's the problem? But, but like, I don't, Paul, you got a little cheesed off at me for basically saying, yeah, so why are we doing it in Chicago if we're not going to do it in a horrible place no, no, in a no, country so guilty good. of war crimes? No, no, because I think you were misunderstanding and who he's pointing at, sto- what, where he's pointing, I, I understood he's pointing he at pointing. Chicago. I wasn't cheesed off at you for pointing at Chicago. Just, I just thought... Well, I know the, the, he was pointing at Chengdu, but... Yeah, he's pointing at Chengdu. But I think the same critique could be leveled at this last year's Worldcon or... I mean, the whole should you call? Should, I mean, Worldcon in the U.S. and what the U.S. has done yeah. is something that is an undercurrent in in the whole Worldcon thing that mainly that usually gets tamped down just because Worldcon is mostly Americans. But every so often, it kind of gets like, well, hey, you know, the United States isn't clean here either. And then there's a whole, oh, the U.S. isn't as bad as China. And you get these whole <laughs> screen matches in File 770 and in other forums about this. Their, so, their, ba- their baby in their basement is is worse treated than our baby in our basement. Um, Kind of, sort of, yeah. yeah. It's like, I know, the, I know File 770, for listeners who don't know, is a... Is one of the one of the one of one of the centers of discussion of things like Worldcon and Hugo's and science fiction and the whole the whole argument of China versus the U.S. and and Worldcons comes up there bubbles up there again and again as far mm. as and the non-U.S. Science I, I just fans thought it was are much more criti- are very critical of the United States. I just thought it was silly because it's it's it was about Omalas. Being the Worldcon, 
uh, you know, and that as like, then that's going to be nominated for. for you know. No, no. I, no somebody <laughs> said that. I saw it. Well, somebody said they might nominate it. That's I mean, right. I need to remember I mean, this so I can nominate best, it for best related I mean, work best, or whatever. I, I mean, yeah, but best related work at the Hugos winds up with all sorts of weird things. Yes. Like, say, Natalie Leher's um, comment thing about uh, George R. R. Martin going into the sun and yes. stuff. So, you know, I mean, everything could wind up in best, anything could wind up in best related work. I mean, a tweet of mine could wind up best related work. It's not likely to happen, but, you know. Yeah, because my tweet should should definitely be the priority. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, if enough people nominate it, Evan, they gets on the ballot. That's how Worldcon works, for better or worse. And sometimes yeah, for worse, Paul. And, and, and sometimes very much for worse. Not I mean, just for worse. I I haven't seen. I, I I once I figured out. Well, a lot of people do this. They they say I love science fiction. That's what they say. And they say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read all the Hugo Award winners. I did this in the 90s. I'm saying this, Paul. Everybody, uh, like a lot of people do this, right? And they say, uh, um, Luke Burridge has one podcast called The Hugulas, right? Where he reads the Hugos and the Nebulas, and he's reading all of them, right? The problem is, is what you soon realize is that it isn't the cream of the crop in most cases. It's something else. It's my turn. It's his turn. It's her turn. We love her, right? Um, I, I think that's I no I don't think so I I read I, mean, I it's read not, it's not, David Friend's Hugo Award winning novel it ain't good well it ain't well, good well, Paul. Well, the, well, the that's when people, I said it's, you know it's, what I'm not doing this anymore it's it's not good by your lights and that's fine <laughs> it's a bad book. I mean you're, you're, I I mean it's not in your it's not in your wheelhouse. It, it was in the wheelhouse of the people who nominated. I like, I like the ideas. Book. It's a bad book. Uh, it, it, it's an uplift book. I I like the yeah. idea of uplift. It's just very badly written. So why why are we rewarding it? It's his turn. It's well, well, it's no, he's got the most cachet. Whatever it is, I, I, it's, it's not even. It's not even the. It's not even. It's his turn. That's because that that, that assumes that was before the turn. A direction yeah. Yeah. to Hugo voters. Hugo voters aren't like that. But Hugo voters definitely are. Definitely can be rather. A conservative is not the right word. They can be very liberal. Uh, no, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm trying to find a word here, okay. and it's, it's hard to put out. It. They can be very. Um. I okay. Let me okay. Let me kind of this away. Like for example. Um, Shona McGuire gets lots of nominations frequently because she has a fan base that will reward her work, um, not entirely based on method, but because they they support someone they like, Shona McGuire. But and and the Hugos are kind of like a bunch of different little ecosystems of people who like various things, and sometimes things get nominated which aren't the best work of that person, but they recognize, Oh, Oh, okay. I should take away something off this conversation because I want to mad at me. One thing in Tuesday was talk about, let's talk about random people. Let's, let's talk about, well, not a, not, has a fan base. And that when, when it comes time to Hugo, not Hugo, nomination. Oh, not a, had a book last year. I'm going to nominate that regardless of the merits because that's kind of like human nature. This also happens with any award where you have 
an electorate nominating and voting. See, following the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah, and, this, and this is just, you notice how the Oscars aren't good movies either, like um, the ones that win the awards. I mean, I mean, th- th- this is this. He, uh, I mean, what, Zero non, Dark non, Thirty won some awards. Non movies that movies and works that don't don't aren't don't have a jury panel and even jury panels have their own issues. Generally, wind up having having these sorts of situations come up where basically portions of the of the electorate will nominate things based on the person rather than the innate quality of the work that doesn't always case but and, and and people's names come up and then you get snowballing log rolling and all sorts of things so it it's not it's not a matter of it's it's Norris turn it's Shawnee's turn the ones who Olaf's walk away turn. from the hugos i'm one of them and and, yeah, and lots, lots of, and lots of people, and, and lots of people have. I mean, the Yugos, the Yugos have their issues, but but because of an walked into a, the dealer's room and started buying old books that sound like because, good because of accumulation of of um of uh, okay. So you remember you remember the you remember the Jack Band story, the Moon Moth, mm-hmm. good story. and the idea of Strock S T R A K H mm-hmm. that basically that's sort of like. Prestige, power, status. and influence, mm-hmm. status. The Hugos, because of years of existence, have a lot of Strock. So, less and less these days, my friend. Um, well, yes and no, but there's still like a lot of accumulation. So there's there's definitely a a leftover it, momentum, but it's massively slowing down. I don't know about massively slowing slowing down. Yes, same way that the the Academy just, Awards are, right? Um, I mean, this is the same in the same way the Academy Awards are. There, there, there's there is it. There is a momentum because you know, going back to physics and uh, the cold equations, if, if you build up to a large velocity, even if you turn off the engines, you're still going to go at a speed. Yes, you're going to get friction and slow mm-hmm. down, but you're still going to go with speed. So as a result, the Hugo's are the big game in town, even. Even in this era of clashing mm. ecosystems, and people want that struck. They want that. Yes, and, they do. I mean, see, following the whole puppy drama, where basic, they were basic, basically John C. Wright. Maybe they Fox were just State. trying to right the ship. They're just trying to point it back in the direction. I, blah blah blah. Well, they, they, I, they, I did not they, follow they any of this, so they, I do they, not they know. Wanted, they wanted to point the, the ship in the direction of their own own preferences and desires. They, the nutty nuggets, as uh, Brad. Torgerson put, put put it, yeah. and well, they, 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 I they, think they, the ship should sink, and uh, everybody should sink with it because it's it's not important. What's this um, one you just sent well, me, Evan? Oh, uh, so the so ones who is, don't walk away by Sean Viver. This was a response to O'Malis that it's short enough we could probably read the. Yeah, whole why thing. don't you read it for us? You're a good um, narrator. It's. It's pretty hilarious. That's I don't. This got to be a, a. I almost want to believe it's a joke. Did anyone know this? Sean Viver. I've never heard of Sean Vivier. No. Vivier. Oh, there's an author not, bio I'm, here. Yeah, but yeah, uh, but yes, read it on the. Okay. It's on Daily Science Fiction. I'm sure Jesse will link. Yeah, this you can find his work on Analog, Daily Science Fiction, Flash Fiction. Okay. A lot is made of those who walk away from the city, and I get it. I do. It's a shock to learn the city's secret that the child must suffer for our prosperity. Of course, it breaks a lot of people. Of course they walk away. 
of course, they abandon their civic duty. <laughs> sure, there are those who go about their business as before, who bury the new knowledge so that they return to their normal lives and go about their days to keep their sanity, to convince themselves they're still good people to follow the easiest course. But not all, all of us can ignore the fundamental injustice. Not all of us have the heart to leave. Not all of them have the heart to abandon our homes to damnation. Some of us choose to stay and fight for her soul. We are the ones who cannot live in such a place without offering a challenge to its corrupt way of life. We are the ones who cannot leave knowing we did nothing to try to stop it. There are those of us who use our voices, who argue with the comfortable who do nothing, who write opinions and marshal all our, their arguments, both logical and moral, against the cruelty at the heart of the city. They, too, do their part. There are those, a small number, who plot violence. But they get nowhere with it. Still, the child suffers. Only now, more suffer with her. Our opponents take them and use them as proof that no one need pay attention to our ideas. There are those who organize campaigns and run for election, if only to end the torture of innocence. But they don't always win, but sometimes here and there they do. We have not yet made the change, but our numbers grow, and so do our voices in the halls of power. There are those who try to find the tortured child and rescue her, but not everyone knows how to find the places of torment and fewer know how to release the bonds without the complete obliteration of the city, the tormented child included. Um, oh, there's more to the story. Yeah, yes, there, it's a little, three more paragraphs. Yeah. All right. Just there are even those who offer to take the child's place. They will feel more righteous, they say, if they know they choose their suffering. And others will prosper for their sacrifice, that the price will be paid knowingly. One phlegmatic masochist even says he will enjoy the torment that brings prosperity which will benefit everyone himself included as for me i'll do the only thing i know how i come to the child at the heart of the city i talk to her i listen to her i play with her and i teach her and i try to mitigate the worst of it and whenever she cries in sudden terrified pain i rush and hold her if all i can do is comfort her child in agony that'll be my part in all of this one day we'll find a means to end this abominable practice. Until then, none of us have the heart to surrender and flee. None of us can ignore the problem like the ones who walk away. So, August 5th, 2020. It's pretty bad. Um, uh, it, it is. It has point. to be a joke because if it isn't, it's it's like um, <laughs> it's like it's. Hey, kid! Uh, you see that mop over in the corner? It's watching you. You fuck. <laughs> because it's saying it's saying. I am good person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all I need, all I need for you people in the city uh, that refuse to vote is to vote for Democrats. Because if you vote for Democrats, we can end the pain of this child yeah. suffering. We're, we have top men working on how to end this child's pain top for men. suffering. Well, it, top men, Paul. It's got to argue on Twitter seven, first, Jesse. It's got a three point eight out of seven re rating. So yeah. Yes. So it's so it's it's it so the readers of the story mark it as best average. Wow. So. Oh, it's 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 funny. Yeah, um, it's pretty. I, I thought it. But 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 but, really but, I, but, it, but if it's a response to almost, I mean, it violates some of the premises set up. Almost, you're not supposed to show this child yeah. any any kindness that will destroy everything. Well, they talk about listening uh, and comforting. Remember like when AOC yeah. was down in Texas and mourning over the fence, right? Oh no, these children are locked up. Then Biden becomes president. Children are still locked up, but she's not there. Right? Yeah. That's exactly what this is. So it's it's a choice satire, and if it isn't, it's just reality. Right? It's it's like mm -hmm. 
really bad. <laughs> so yeah. it's either really good or really bad. And so the the mixed results of whoever's voting for this, uh, I see one vote, maybe no. I no, see. it has to be more one because it's a three point eight average. It okay, yeah, I don't, I can't vote. It's, I don't know. Every time I run my mouse over it, it wants to change my my vote. It, it and I voted. To, it, so, whatever. You have to click. You have to click on it to make the vote. I mean, you can run over the thing. Show the story's ratings. Three point eight dragons average. Yeah. Yeah, I just vote. I just voted for it. Too. And what did you so, vote, Paul? I I gave it a one because it's not out of seven. It's not playing f- out of seven. It's not playing fair with the premise of Omolov. Yeah. This is why it's, I it's, also reject about, oh, Goodreads. Child, like everything no, on it. Goodreads is three point eight, right? Everything. But if that's three point eight out of five, this is three point eight out of seven. It doesn't so matter. Well, once well, you, it, once it, you it, have a a rating system, it it. it, it it just becomes this sort of kludge in the middle, right? So we... Kludge. That's a good word. Well, the one I really liked was back in the day, because I, I thought about this a lot, Paul. I know you review a lot of books. I When I set up this website with Scott, I was like, we can't have a rating system. Um, it's just a really, really, really bad idea. And I argued with him about why we would do it or, you know, we thought about how it would be done and, you know, how ratings and reviews and all that. And so we came up with some mechanisms for saying this is a book that people should pay attention to other than just writing. But once you start down the path of ratings, it actually breaks your brain in a certain sense, because what you're saying is this this story is a one because it doesn't play fair. But that's not that does not show up. It only shows up one. So it's like when you're reading Amazon reviews and it's, and it says one star, uh, box came with a dent, product good. Right? <laughs> you know that the one star is wrong or shipping perfect. Uh, I returned it. Didn't like it. <laughs> right. So they get a 10 star. So the, the, the incentives screw up the, the rating system. And that's why everything on Goodreads is like 3.8 out of five. And, and so we end up arguing over tiny percentage points when uh pc gamer which i was a huge fan of as a magazine they had really great writings one of the guys uh who was behind that magazine and i read many reviews of his name was gary witta he's the guy who wrote the star wars um a prequel movie uh that's pretty good rogue one and he mm-hmm. wrote uh he also wrote that um post-apocalyptic um movie starring uh what's the black actor who's famous for being in a civil war movie i can't remember his name anyways denzel washington denzel washington yeah denzel washington um uh as a black blind uh gunsmith gunslinger oh, oh you took oh you took oh you're talking about uh whatchamacallit yeah the uh, that movie yeah the, he, that, he, that movie so he wrote great. two two pretty good movies right um and gary witta uh, would write these amazing reviews of the games and make you want to say, oh, this is one I want to buy or this is one I want to try or whatever. Um, really fun and entertaining. And then at the end of every review, they would put a score out of a hundred <laughs> and they would have endless. They, I heard their podcast when they were still doing, you know, this is a long time ago. They would have endless debates about like points. Like this is a 97. No, 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 no. This is a 98. No, 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 no. This is a 93. And they would have like 
massive debates on these numbers. And that's the only thing that the publishers ever cared about. They always complain. You, just, you can't give our, our game this lower rating because you gave that other one a higher rating. And so that's where it becomes like the only thing that matters is whether you're wearing the badge or not. Right. I'm a Hugo winner. I'm a five star book reviewer. I've, I've been listed on the New York Times. Right. And it, it's, it's like a, um, it's an anti, uh, thinking. And that's why writing great reviews is so important because it's the opposite of anti thinking. You're making an argument, right? You're saying, this is a good story. And the reason it's good is because of this. And you say, yes, it has this issue and we can deal with it. Think about it this way. But despite this kind of flaw, I think it's totally worth reading. Or, no, this is a minor piece and, you know, you might want to look at this other thing, right? So that's why, you know, right. what is this right. story right. doing? This story is making, I think, a fairly decent point, which is it's an attack on liberal values, uh, saying, you know, we can just fix this by voting Democrat or you could flip it and say by voting Republican, right? Um, what, what I, when I read that, uh, Omala story, which is very recently, right? Very first thing I, I was thinking is there is a civic element to it, right? A nationalistic element. Mm-hmm. Um, and fleeing the country is always an option, uh, in a story like that. But in reality, Paul, try and flee the country. Where are you going to go? You, well, yes, you we're, said we're, you'd we're, like to live in Australia, I think, or maybe you said New Zealand. New, Ze- New Zealand would but, be yeah, but, the but, place you'd point- like to live. But a friend of mine who did emigrate there pointed out, like, it's not paradise, Paul. You know that. Their jobs like, aren't great, right? So, but, yeah. but Paul, New Zealand's also a settler colonial state built and, well, on yeah, genocide. Well, I mean, they, they do better than the United States did with na- with their native population, but it's no paradise. <coughs> it's more I mean, more I, I, more I, I, paradise I, I, is what you're I mean, thinking, I right? Met, I, I I met. It's all, it's, I mean, there's so more their engagement. Their kid has a bucket and uh, <laughs> like two buckets. Two buckets. <laughs> I, I mean, they, I mean, I mean, the Maori, the, the Maori are much more integrated into mainland New Ze- mainline New Zealand culture than Native Americans. As a percentage of the population, they're much higher. Same right. in Canada, right? Right, but but like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, there are Maori. On half my and part Maori New Zealand writers who I met at met, met during the the national convention down there, yeah, and they they point out there are problems. There are still major problems with acculturation and cultural appropriation and preserving culture. It's not a paradise by any stretch. Um, another story that I was reminded of uh, by this Omalas is uh, there's a Richard Matheson story, I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, and there's also a, uh, uh, that only a mother by Judith Merrill. If you guys have read that, that's also in the, uh, I think it's the, um, mm-hmm. same book that's Cold Equations is in, which is like best science fiction or whatever. It's, um, ah, Hall that's of Fame. Silverberg anthology. Yes. Yeah. The science fiction Hall of Fame, which basically it's just they voted and said which stories should be in. Um, so in the science fiction Hall of Fame, they have, uh, what's the Richard Matheson one? Um, but basically, there's a kid locked up in the Shrinking basement. Man? Uh, say again? Uh, the only one I know is Shrinking Man. No, no. It's a short story. It's very short. It's a really good one. It might be his first, in fact. Let me just look that up. ISFDB. Fine legend, I know, too. <laughs> That's a novel. Um, Richard Matheson. 
Um, so I, that only a mother is by Judith Merrill. It's a, I think 1948 ish story. And it's about a couple who give birth to a monster, um, like a mutant baby. Um, pretty sure that's the, the story. Um, let's see what Matheson's one is called. Yeah. Born of man and woman. That's the title, which is a great, great story. And it's a, it's told from the creature's point of view, locked up in the basement, um, abused, um, it has a on the back of the furnace. Um, there's like a somebody posted up a uh, nudie pic or something, and he, he thinks that that's what a a pretty person looks like. And uh, one day it starts to rain, and uh, through the window chained up in the basement, the child can see a bunch of kids running around having fun. And uh, then some somebody comes downstairs and hits the kid for making too much noise and drawing attention to himself or herself or itself. And uh, the kid promises to uh, get revenge, make them pay, make them feel pain like they they do. And it's a super powerful story. Um, first published in FNSF in uh, July 1970, uh, 1950. So that is his first story. Um the tags for it are horror monsters cats yes the cat also eats part of the child basement first point of view, person point of view children science fiction diary ah yes it's 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 done in diary format and child protagonist whereas the other one by judith merrill is told from the parents point of view and they're really embarrassed about this monster they have in the basement really good stuff Did you um? Uh, did you guys watch Stowaway? That uh, Netflix. Uh, I I didn't rewatch. I'm one? sorry. Had you seen it before? Almost stuff. I I'd rewatch it. Had you seen it? I didn't before? rewatch. I didn't rewatch it. Okay, yeah. but you had seen it. What about you, yeah. Evan? I I only did the Twilight Zone one. It's the only one that's really great. Some other okay ones. Um, there was a 1996 one. Didn't really do anything except it added a weird sexual element, which I think um, it, it was interesting because it's another way to go. It was bargaining, right? She has this sort of bargaining scene in the story where it's like, it's not fair, right? Can't we do this? So um, there's that. Uh, one of the things that I think was interesting about the stowaway adaptation, uh, which it really is, it's just uncredited, is that the guy... Um, has the uh, wrist uh, bracelet thing that's mentioned in the story. But instead of, and this is in, I think, the uh, the Twilight Zone adaptation as well, she ge- she gives the bracelet that her brother gave her to Barton before she gets flushed out of the airlock. Um, in the stowaway, he mentions this bracelet that his sister gave her, or him, um, but his body is covered with burns every time we see him being treated for some injury. We see these burns. And then he tells a story about how he's, he saved her from a fire or something like that. And it's to add more depth and pathos so that we feel bad when somebody gets flushed, right? But mm-hmm. what I was so interested in is, is that the fire is actually the, the connected to the, um, the bracelet. Because it's in the story, it's fire rubies or something like that. And so what some writer did was we need to 
add more pathos. So I'll put the guy through a fire. <laughs> right. And that's exactly like, it's so obvious when, um, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin does hers. She's, she sets it up like you can have whatever you want in the city, but now let me tell you about the cost. And then she talks about how the child is abused and we, we start feeling very bad, right? That's the point of writing is to cause the effect that you want it to have. And Campbell combined with Tom Godwin had a massive effect because this story hits the notes that it wants to hit. Omelas is more of a question rather than a delivery. It's more of like, what do you think about this? Huh? 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 <laughs> she says it in the introduction too. It's an idea story. It is an I mean, absolutely an idea story, but it's more open ended. Whereas the cold equations is a door shut. And one of the things I thought and, of, and, and I think a lot of the responses are trying to open that door yes, and say, no, yes. we shouldn't be closed. That's right. They want to save the girl. Right. But my, my point is, is, is once you start looking at the story, not as a, a delivery mechanism, which is the way I've always thought of it, but as a, uh, just a story that's well written. Why does it work so well? Um, one of the things I noticed is like she starts in a closet, right? The opening scene is him, you know, go, uh, there's a white hand. And I, I thought that was really fun. The, it wasn't a red hand, Paul. It was a white hand on the, on the heat gauge or something, right? And then, he goes to the closet with gun in hand and says, come out. And in the closet is a girl. And then the story takes place outside the closet. And then she goes back into a closet. Right. And she's, she's shot off into outer space. And one, one of the really cool things that happens in, in this story is that the, the writing is poetic. Um, the, the, the sentimentality is through the roof. But it's, it doesn't say that trumps everything. So when she says to her brother, um, I'm going to die. Uh, well, they, she never says that. The brother knows. She says, you know, um, I will, uh, come to you on the wind. <laughs> I will whisper in your ear. I will still be with you if I can. Right. And then she goes through the airlock and when he sees, uh, when the ship starts slowing down and he sees an object going ahead of them uh, or the ship and himself towards the planet, um, that's her, but he doesn't want to look at it, but it's delivered so that we know that it's her. It's very much close to the emotions of Barton and the girl and all the other people who are sort of officious, right? Say, oh shit, you have to follow regulations. And he said, she's listening right now. Please, let's not have this conversation right now. Save it for later. Right. So there's like, it's, it's like, there is this horrible bureaucracy. There's this horrible capital, capitalist realism. The fact that, um, was it in, uh, the ones who walk away from OMLS become sex, wor sex workers <laughs> because they can't find jobs outside the city or whatever. Right. So like, there's this horror. What is she doing on this ship? She would just wants to be reunited with her family. And under capitalism, what happens? We, we have to be separated from the people we want to live with. We have to be separated from the place we want to live in because jobs demand it, right? Paul, you know about this. Jobs mm -hmm. demand you do this. Um, yep. uh, the economy demands you do this. 
Your boss demands you do this. And what is the alternative? Walking away. Uh, there ain't no walking away from this, right? So it is incredibly important that we make sure that the ship has enough fuel and seats for anybody who gets on it. And if you don't realize that's incredibly important, bad things happen. If you don't really scrutinize your government and say, what the fuck are you doing in Guantanamo? Or we're fighting them over there so we can not fight them over here. Those guys are bad. We're getting information out of them. Your security depends on us being murderers and torturers. Except we call it enhanced interrogation to make you feel better. Right? That's why both of these stories work. And that's why they're both good. That's my, that's my take on it anyways. So. No more complaints about uh, this <laughs> gold. I, I, I'm putting my foot down. No more complaints about cold equations being a story with bad engineering. That's the point. I think. I killed everybody. I threw you all you out there. I'm here. Threw you both no, out there. Lock. No, no, I'm not out the airlock. I'm not floating through space in a void. <laughs> oh. It's a, it's a really good story. I was surprised how good it was. And um, I, I did like watching all the adaptations to see how everybody else did it. Sometimes they did it right. Sometimes they did it wrong. But I think that Twilight Zone was, is the best one. It's, it, uh, it's, it, it's the most faithful to, the, to it. I mean, I mean, I mean they, do, they, they, short, they, they, also do, they also do try to throw everything out the airlock to try to save the room and it doesn't work they so they they try it feels the twilight zone when i saw the episode it's like they're trying harder than the actual story did i think that that's a uh a conceit that you need in a in a visual story because there's so much info dump that's what makes the story so long is there's so much going on that isn't dialogue right and I was thinking how good a play it would be if if you did it really well. The one I saw out of the UK, it was okay. It was not great. The actor was way too old for Barton. The actress who was playing the girl was way too old for uh, Marilyn. Um, but I think that I think that uh, it would make a great stage play because it it, it manipulates the emotions. And you know it has that simple set where it's a tiny play, little room. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I mean, plays, plays and character. Yeah, and that sort of character-driven drama. Um. So I was tell. So I was telling you, Jesse, about KJ Parker. Yeah. On Twitter, and the book I just finished of his was "How to Rule an Empire and Get Away with It," which is basically the story of an actor who winds up having to impersonate someone in power. And basically having become the mask. Yes. And he says, yes, you've heard this story before. You know, um, Prisoner of Zenda and a whole bunch of other adaptations. The, High, the Highline novel, Double Star. And he says, like, yeah, yeah you've, you've seen this story before, but I'm going to give you twists. But yes, you know this story before. But he points out that sometimes you want a story that you know kind of the beats to, even with the twists, because that's comfort. And he talks a lot about stage and acting and how people react to stories it's a real it's the second of his three it is a trilogy but the first two novels are kind are set in the same time frame kind of sort of and they're very loose and only 
one character ever sees another character in the same story. So I really enjoyed like him, him, him talking about the power of stories and what, what that means and how to happen to the story and how to frame a story. I mean, he's, he's a professional liar because he's an actor and he's a con man. So can you believe everything he's saying in this story? Mm. So the first novel, which is 16 Ways to Defend the Walled City, is all about engineering. It's all about the idea of, okay, so we have the city. We don't have enough people to defend against a half a million people outside. How do we save the city? And it's all about the power of engineers and engineering to try to save good. an impossible situation. The second one is all about, okay, how do you use the power of story to save and preserve what you can as things keep collapsing around you and you're kind of dancing on goals? I don't know. I haven't read the third one, so I don't know what the theme is yet. But Parker does like I I, I compared Parker to Melville because yeah. it's true because he goes into lots of details like Melville will about fishing. But here it's in this novel is about theater and acting and stories and drama. And the first novel is all about engineering and defenses of sieges. And how do you how do you deal with a medieval siege that's seemingly unstoppable? So you can try all this sort of crap and this is how this works and getting the whole even down to the geology of the city and the thing. So Parker likes to do that sort of deep dive and slides it into the narrative in a way like Melville does that really makes it feel like historical fiction of a world that isn't ours because there's no magic in this series whatsoever. There's not a lot of magic in many of his books. A lot of his books are kind of like this with just straight up alternate history historical fiction. Sounds good. So I'm trying to sell you on KJ Parker. I I, I like I like the uh, ideas, but um, it sounds like a novel. Yeah, they, they are novels, unfortunately. So well, um, one one audiobooks come out. He he, uh, he he does have short stories. I don't know if they're audios of those short stories. I mean, he had a book called Academic Exercises, which is a collection of a bunch of his short stories. On all sorts of on, on sorts sorts of things, so he can write to shortness. But I don't know if that's actually actually in audio form. Well, the good news is um, time will winnow, and we will find out if he's excellent. I didn't pick up on Ted Chang right away. I true. I said, you know, who is this guy? Don't know him. And then I read a couple of stories. And I'm like, oh my god, something's happening here. <laughs> So I'm glad uh, I'm glad you find hope in uh, modern stuff. I think there is going to be good works by modern people. It's just um, it's a huge task to winnow that, and I'm glad you're there doing. But somebody, but somebody has somebody has to winnow that. I mean, I I I, I, I I think that's you. I I, I can see your reactionary. You're waiting for the judgment of time and history, and and listening to people because. I I want it, but I also know that um, you know, the market demands things that I am not willing to accept from the market, right? Which is long trilogies and big thick novels. So it's possible that people can uh, do good works with this, but I read the first uh, J not J R George R R Martin book, and I thought, wow, this was really long. Uh, interesting. Along, and then I started the second one. Like, eh, don't seem to be finishing this one. And uh, you know, the show was okay, but uh, the judgment of history. I, th- I think there was a line actually in a great. Uh, 
heard Robert Silverberg interviewed on uh, a podcast from 2019. But it was the um, alternative. No, it was the alternative, my friend, to the Hugo Awards, which is the uh, Scientology one. What's that called? Uh, Best New Writers or something. Writers of the oh, Future. Oh, Writers of the Future. Right. So that's a juried award. And one of the things they do on this, Evan, um, this juried award, is they uh, read the stories blind. They don't know who the authors are. And then they uh, award their prize points or whatever. Um, so there's like a a kind of um, honesty that you don't have when you know who you're voting for, right? Which I think is kind of cool. Um, not that I, I read the writers of the future either, but one of the things he said, um, about maybe it wasn't him, but I, uh, maybe it was, he was talking about, uh, John W. Campbell and how, you know, a lot of people don't like him. Uh, but you know, he knew the guy and he liked the Socratic method that he, he, uh, um, would posit with his authors. And that's why so many people thought he was important is because they helped him, them write stories that uh, were engaging and such. Astounding is not my favorite magazine, but um, it did have some good stories in it. And one of the things uh, that he sort of hinted at, I think it was him, uh, was saying that the universe is the ultimate judge of everything. That is to say, um, you know, you think that this mountain's really strong, but we'll see. Let's, Let's let some time go by and we'll see. Um, so the judgment of history thus far is that John Cumbie, John W. Campbell was wrong pretty much about everything, right? Uh, but a lot of the things that he's being called are things that he was, uh, he was saying, not things that he believed or things that he was arguing for, for a purpose rather than things that, um, he knew. And so when he makes, gets it wrong about, telepathy which he did when he gets it wrong about scientology or uh, dianetics which he did when he gets it wrong about uh you know overpopulation which he did it isn't because uh he has some evil agenda that he's trying to uh manipulate it's that he thought it made sense to him and it would make a good story and and that's uh where you know how many years later? This is from 1954. We're still talking about the cold equations. That That's the test of time there for you, Paul. Omalas is from 70 or something like that? 70, yeah. And I, I hadn't heard of that one until relatively recently. But um, I do like uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's writing. This, but this is not her. I think she dashed this off a lot quicker than... Um, than uh, a lot of her other stuff. It it feels like a great idea story, um, and that's why it is so short. It's like twenty minutes, or not even maybe sixteen minutes. It's really short. Um, it's it's more like uh, tr- much more like a trolley problem than even the cold equations is. Um, it, it's asking a question rather than showing you through what you have to come to conclude. By the way, it looks like my recorder's broken, Paul, so it might all be you. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should wrap this up then? And... Yeah, yeah. Unless you got something else. Yeah, good.
Okay, I'm gonna try try pressing try pressing stop. Doesn't look like it's gonna work. It started the file, but I don't know if it actually finished it. It's been a while since it broke like that. Uh, let's find out if I if mine broke, we're in trouble. Yep. Um, I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna stop here. Just to see. Evan, are you gonna record a copy of uh, the cold equations? No. Okay. Probably not. All right. I'll find something. I, I, I got better stories to record. How dare you? All those sex. All those sex books you send me. That's true. This one doesn't have enough sex for you. There's barely an orgy on the ship at all. On the EDS. No. It's uh, unfortunate. <laughs> like, who wants space travel if you're just like all by yourself? Oh, well, that's uh, uh, going to a planet with sixteen dudes on it. That's a real cool equation. It. Like, that's really why you complain to the engineers. <laughs> <laughs> why was there room for like three hookers on this ship? Wow. <laughs> that reminds that's me. That's the hairy mud. Of, that reminds me of a line <laughs> from uh, Event Horizon, and uh, the guy goes, "Why can't we go to Mars, Captain? Mars has got women." <laughs> Um, it, it is almost a Harry Mud story, except you make it a Ferengi, a Ferengi Harry Mud, and he's delivering women to uh, to uh, these miners on o- Woden, right? Um, yeah, but then there's the stowaway, and the, the stowaways die. Otherwise, the no, 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 no. The Ferengi, he's uh, the stowaway is a sexy girl, so the Ferengi says, "Hmm, how am I going to solve this?" Right? He's got his hands up to his sh- sharp teeth. And he says, how am I going to solve this? I know. And then you see the next scene is him flushing himself out the airlock. <laughs> Province! <laughs> Province! <laughs> First rule of acquisition, or whatever it is. Because the Ferengi can make profits even when dead, right? That's right. That's my point. freeze-dried... Uh, There's a um, chapter for the sex book. There you go. Yeah. You can pick my... I'm doing the Nagus. Uh, oh, hold, on, hold on for a second. I want to listen to my recording. Make yeah. sure it worked. What's the, Nag- what's the Nagus's actor name? Oh, I don't know his name. He's Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn. Um, I do have a recording. And Excellent. It is uploaded to your Dropbox. Thank you, sir. Um, oh, I saved the day. Yeah. Hopefully. hopefully. Um, uh, you listen to the beginning and the end? Yeah. Uh, excellent. Looks uh, like we got it all. So Wallace Shawn is – he sings – you can pick my freeze-dried corpse up around the orbit. Just make sure to sell it for a high premium. I sacrificed myself. <laughs> um, the profits are unimaginable. The profits must flow. <laughs> well, it's good, right? I think I did a pretty good Wallace Shawn. Grand Actually, Nagus. Yeah, I've been pretty Nagus. depressed because I, I realized... With the way Star Trek's been going, I don't even want them to make my Grand Nagus ROM series. No, no, they can't control them. Because I, I, I thought that would really be a good series to see, like they won't try to ref- him try to reform Frankie society, running into the liberals. You're gonna have Frankie liberals. Of it course, would be like a really Brooks good bomb. Uh, yeah, and then you're gonna have idea. radicals, maybe, and the conservatives. It'd be really good political allegory, mm-hmm. but. They wouldn't, and it would have sex because because Lita is in it. <laughs> they would just ruin it. They definitely like they would. They got all the sex. They would. It would just be horrible. Well, you could you could pitch I'm it so as sad. your own show. You know, just file off the serial numbers like uh, they did on um, 
Orville, right? Yeah. You just have the uh, Barangi. <laughs> but I, I think the, the Orville, based on the footage I saw of the next season of the Orville, they've fallen for the same Dude, did nonsense. you see that, that side-by-side? I sent it to you. Oh, my God. What side-by-side? They showed the side. Uh, it was a side-by-side of the season of Orville scene and a like season of Discovery season of or something. And it's people running around in quarters with explosions every three seconds. And it's like they're they're identical. <laughs> There's like no difference yeah. between them. And I was like, oh my god! I hope this is not what it really like. I, I can I can take that as like a setup for something. But if that's the whole show, I don't want to watch any more of it because I don't need explosions and corridors. Thank you very much. Not the one, huh? That's weird. My file is yeah completely stuck. I probably have to press. Uh, wow, it's uh, the program's just not responding. A spinning blue wheel of death. <laughs> that's not a good. Pl- that's not a good sign. Yeah, it's a bad it's sign. A bad sign. So it's pizza night. My sister is going to have some vegan pizza. I get to have regular human pizza. Oh, by the way, uh, did Jesse. you did you notice um the vegan the vegan uh, shoes she had? I did not see the vegan shoes. In the story, she has vegan... She, he, he knew they were poor. The family of oh, uh, Cross was vegan. poor. Those are vegan No, they're shoes. vegan. Spelled exactly the same, Paul. <laughs> no, Jesse. Oh, I'm sure, because it was vegan leather. Vegan leather, not vegan. No, it's pronounced vegan. In the it, audiobook it, it, I heard. It's it, it's, Vega, it's Vega the colony, not vegan as in I think vegetarian. it was from Venus, is what I was thinking. Not Vega, but you might be right. Vega. Vega. Mm. Vega. Oh, that's Vega. Never mind. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll, um, I'll uh, organize the audiobook for next week some other day. It's a short story, I believe. But it's on YouTube as well. And, Already. Uh, uh, and I think we're planned for something two weeks from now, so... It all makes sense in the end. It'll all be one in the end. I... Yes, yeah, so yes. Yeah, so next week is the Temple of Death, which is on Saturday, which I won't be here for. But then, then the following week, yeah, is ever everything's eventual. I'm kind of looking forward to that Moon Knight show. I probably shouldn't, but I kind of am. Which which show? Moon Knight, the new, new Marvel TV show. I haven't watched all the other ones, but I like Moon Knight. Oh, Moon, oh, Moon Knight. I was thinking Moonlight? Oh, no, Moon Knight. Yeah. Moon I know Knight. you like Moon Knight. Yes, I know you like Moon Knight. We'll see what happens. Yeah, he's, he's Egyptian. Yeah, um, I'm show noting our show, uh, what was it? From last August. And it, what did I, t- did I tell you what it was? Can you remember? Cats of Ulthar. Cats of Ulthar. That's right. Um, I remember that one. Yeah, it's a long show for a short story. And we never did reschedule adaptation, did we? Adaptation? Um, the following week, we the adaptation. Oh yeah, started. no, it never happened, right? It never happened. Yeah, I don't even remember the story. I remember reading it, but I do not remember. I remember the story reading it, but that's it. Yeah, yeah, that one, that, that one never happened. Sometimes things just don't happen. But we got some good ones coming up. The Tempest. I was I 
Let's see, that was last September, so I was driving to Oregon, so I missed the Tempest. Yeah, there's a bunch of Pauls in the missing. Paul, Paul, yeah, because Paul's. I remember the Tempest because that was the day I, I, I didn't know what day it was. Mm. I, I literally didn't know what day it was. Uh, then Weird in the Eerie, and it says Connor was on that one. Evan canceled. Um, but I remember that with Capitalist Realism. I think we did that at the same time. Yeah. And then comes Starship Mutiny, which That's, I came back for. I keep thinking about that. Oh, I remember Capitalist Starship Realism. Mutiny. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Evan's on that one. <laughs> then Last of the Masters. Wow. That's coming up. Which was on a Saturday, which annoyed me because I mis- you made me miss a Philip K. Dick. Sorry, bud. To, do, to get Mike. More Philip Dick. Yeah, always. What's, you know, there was one, one story here I thought of. Um... Uh, there's a Philip K. Dick story that says Utopia, um, where a bunch of dudes walk around in, in robes. It's a kind of walk away from Omala's story. You know the one I'm talking about, Evan? I do. They visit some planet. Um, keep saying, talking, I might remember. Okay, so they visit some planet, um, and they're like, these people have been cut off from the rest of the galactic civilization forever. Um, and they, like, they're gonna touch down and try and make, make a reconnection. Um, and when colony. they get... Colony. I think it's called No, colony. no, Colony is, is the shape-shifting aliens one. Um. Oh, then it's, I know the one you're talking about. With the cup, with the teacup or something at the end? It could be. Um, anyways, yeah. um, they wander around, like, cedar tree forests, and they also had, they have electric cars outside the city. Um, or something. They have cars outside the city, but it is a utopia planet, and they're always reading philosophy and stuff like that. And I thought that 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 was very reminiscent of of what Philip K. Dick was, or oh, what um, Le Guin was doing. Um, yeah, it's setting up a premise, but uh, Dick's much more uh, oblique. He doesn't know what he's doing exactly, or he's doing it unconsciously, mm. or whatever. Whereas Everything is very on the surface for Le Guin. She knows exactly what she's doing. What the hell is that story called, Evan? I'm looking. I'm looking at the ISFDB. Should I definitely covered it? Yeah, and it's it's an interesting story. I don't think it's public domain, but I would totally do that one. That's a nice short story. So let's let's dig that one out. Um, Philip K. Dick souvenir. I know. I don't think it is. Is it? I think. I think Have souvenir. we done a show on it? It sounds so familiar. Williamson's World, the one where yeah, everyone is, right. is LARPing. Where everyone's LARPing different civilizations. Let me look. Yeah, that sounds it's right. The, like the, the Empire wants it back in their fold, that's right? right? That's right. That's sounding it's exactly souvenir. right. Souven... Okay. Am I spelling souvenir wrong? S-O-U. It's not, sh- it's not showing up. So we haven't done a show on it? How come I? How come the title sounds so? His titles are not great for this. Um, souvenir. Yeah. What is the souvenir he comes away from the planet with? Is it a teacup? Like a teacup or, a, or it's some. But and, it's, and then it's gonna because the imperial civilization is everything's mechanized and and it's and gonna corrupt. Made by computers, replicated, but this a handmade thing is what's gonna corrupt them. And it's gonna corrupt the the galaxy into uh, yeah. being like them. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's book that. Because that's a really good story. A weird. 
Um, how about uh, 425? Okay. Paul? Okay. Yeah. Uh, souvenir. Book it. Alright. Book it, Dan. I'll book it. Souvenir. It's not super long. I think it's less than an hour. By Philip K. See, there's a guy you can just go back to the well with over and over and over again. Yeah, was, I mean, I mean, I really started going on this podcast a lot when we started doing Philip K. Dick in, in, uh, in full thing. I mean, yeah, you had me on before, but the Philip K. Dick run we had really cemented my we got you on place here on this podcast. Your, your love of Larry Niven. Well, that was the first one. That was football. Yes, that was that was that, that, that was that's where you hooked me, and we did a number of other Nevins. But I mean, the, the Philip K. Dick with uh, you, me, and Misa kind of really, uh, really, really was a strong three handers for a while. Marissa, Marissa, not Misa, right? Marissa. It's very easy to confuse yeah. them. They're they're what, both what? females wearing clothes. <laughs> How dare you, Wow, Je- wow Jesse, I just, I just felt like a, a hammer to the stomach there. You don't like my Wallace, Sean? I think I'm... No, I know. No, I'm self-loathing. I'm not hating you. I'm hating myself. Uh, well, uh, if you want to hate yourself more, what is my last name? Wills. Nope. <laughs> I never what? mention it, but you always say it wrong. It's Willis. Willis? Like Bruce Willis. I've said Willis, and you said that's wrong. Willis, like Bruce Willis. I've said Willis, and you said that's wrong. You've told me that's wrong. Wills is wrong. W-I-L-L-I-S. You've also told me, Jesse, I've called you Jesse Willis, and you've said that's wrong. That's Wills. No, never. I swear, maybe you're trolling me. No, absolutely not trolling. I, I always say Evan's last name wrong when I'm telling people. I always say it's Lamp, but it's not. It's Lampy, which is strange. Yep. I think of it as Lamp with an E. But yeah, I think in German it's it's silent. Silent it's Lamp. E? Maybe it's English. It's 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 si- it should be silent, but in German it's not. All I, I know is it. Evan I should be in German. Silent. It's not. <laughs> not true. Um. And uh, I I also don't pronounce Paul's last name correctly. I think it's Weimer, not Weimer, right? Correct. See, this is because we are referring to ourselves or uh, referring to each other by first names only, right? That's that's part of it. Yeah, it's a large part of it. Uh, do you know Marissa's last name? Um, boo. <laughs> no, it's not. It's Van Uden. Van Uden. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, but it's VU, right? So I always think it's VU. Uh, which, well, first time I, I saw it, I thought, oh, she must be uh, Thai or something. Because <laughs> that's like, or like Vietnamese, right? It's a very Vietnamese sounding name, VU. Uh, in fact, I think I had a podcast guest who was Vietnamese living in Germany, whose last name was VU. I, in fact, I know I did, now that I think about it. Um and uh, and then um, Mice's last name. Do you know Mice's last name? No, I have no idea what Mice's last name is. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because we talk to these people all the time. And we don't know that who they are really. Um, it's Basada. I should know that. You should, because it's she has a show and she has a show. Yeah, it's it's handy to be able to refer to people occasionally. 
who who don't know who they are, right? Um. Okay. Um. Souvenir. Um. Souvenir. That's good. Four twenty-five. I'll just make sure that is the correct weekend. March, April twenty-fifth. That says that's a Monday. Oh no no, wait. That can't be right. Four twenty-five is a Monday. That can't be right. January, February, yes. March, April. So this should be the twenty-fourth. Uh, because you're doing you're doing No Man's Land on the on the Saturday, so that should be the next one. Should be the the seventeenth and seventeenth plus eight. Seventeenth plus seven is twenty-four. So you should be yep. Yeah. This one is a Saturday. No, No Man's Land is a Saturday. No Man's Land. Uh, I think we have to move that one. Uh, my DMs don't work on my phone anymore. If somebody DMs me, I have to click on the person and send them a message. Like it just—it's an endless circle of death. So <laughs> that's not—that's not a. Yeah, I still get the messages, but I can't see them <laughs> unless I know who sent it to me. Then I can type in their name and uh, and send them a direct message. So I, I can see my direct messages on my home computer setup of. Twitter. Um, Cora, by the way, couldn't come because her parents, one of her parents is in hospital. Yeah, and it's a long trip to get there back. And uh, they can only go on a certain day and and there's COVID test and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, and it was right at the time. So, unfortunately, 25 kilometers away. Yeah, too bad. It's okay. But. We'll find another show for her. Alrighty, I got stuff I gotta do. Maybe we'll play some PUBG later. Yeah, yeah. Um, pizza probably in the afternoon. So game pizza in the, in the pizza in the afternoon. That, that 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 chicken dinner with the BDRM last night was pretty sweet. It was fun, right? I mean, we we didn't even have to kill very many people. <laughs> we didn't. Have, I mean, we killed that one guy that you ran over and I shot. Yeah, so that's it. That's, but that was you know that was a free one. He wasn't even doing anything. <laughs> no, I mean, he but wasn't a bot. But... No, probably not a bot. No, no, it was a real name. It's so. weird, though, that the, the humans killed each other. Uh, so. All right. We got Take it. care of the both of you, and I'll see you on the flip Later. side. Thank you, uh, Evan. You need to send some pictures of your uh, models when you put them on display. Put them yeah, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. On Twitter. High macro, high quality macro shots only. Well, no, I'll take any old shot. I just I'm, want to see BF one hundred nine. I'm just, I'm just making fun of myself too. BF one hundred nine no, and T sixty twos and T thirty four. T is it a T thirty two or T thirty four? A T thirty two and a T sixty two. So why oh, is it a T thirty two? Because that's pretty strange. T thirty four. T thirty four makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it's the T seventy twos that I saw. I'll see if I can dig it up. I it was. Raw war footage, you know, like uh, from the point of view of of a of a rocket launcher sh- hitting some T seventy twos. Then people in the threads are like Hitler and Putin, <laughs> and then um, and then other people are arguing like that's not actually penetrating. Why are they using HE? They should be using AP. I'm like, well, yeah, like when one day we'll know what's going on. Yeah, I. I mean, the news, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea really what's going on. I, it's, it's very hard to keep up. It's the, the media seems not to be doing their job. Oh, you think? <laughs> well, the, and they're banning the other people. 
Um, so, uh, do we want to book Paul before you leave? Are you gone? Oh, he's gone. Um, I was thinking yeah. we could book that, um, uh, Planet Stories one. We never actually put that on there, did we? Mm. The, um, Black Amazon of Mars. You know about this story? Lee Brackett. Sounds hot. Yeah. Of uh, Mars. Uh, PDF. Uh, I need my website. I think I tweeted about it last night. Um, she's got an axe. Uh, okay. What I need to do is put it there. Okay. Uh, Ooh, I think on the third, I, I have vacation. I think there's a long weekend. What's the, what's the occasion? Tomb sweeping. Oh, right, right. I like that. That's fun. <laughs> it might be next week. It might be that no man's land. Black Amazon. There we go. Okay, here it is. It's 39 pages. We got audiobook for it already. There it is. And, uh, yeah. It's got a, I think. Nice. Yeah, she's, um, what's her name? Uh, Alan Anderson cover, I think it is. And it's Lee Brackett. She's interesting. Uh, taking his time to load though, isn't it? Well, that's a big file, I guess. Yeah, so black tentacles, big axe. Guy well, she's sword. responsible for the only good, like, Star Wars thing, so. Yeah. Eric John Stark. What else did I read from her? I'm trying to remember. Um, There's a whole bunch. Didn't she write The Long Tomorrow, short, I guess. Didn't she write those short... Um, like... Uh, oh, no, that's maybe the other one. Uh, Black God's Kiss? Is that the other no, one? No, that's more. More, that's more. C.L. Moore, right. Um, uh, besides Long Tomorrow, what have I read by hers? Read much. She smiled and let the she smiled and let the wine cup fall. That's good ending. Um, how about oh five oh three? All right, all right. And even if there's a missed week somewhere in the mix. Oops, black Amazon of Mars goes here. Black Amazon of Mars by Racket. Racket. Black. All right. Everything's eventual. Is on there. Wow, we really filled it up. It's good. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, there's always something to read. Oh yeah, but um, there's so there's so many oh man so many good books I want to like oh I really wish this comes to Librivox. So this one last night I was tweeting about um, I tweeted about before. It's called uh, the Adventures or the Doings of Vigorous Daunt. It's about a billionaire in uh, Australian author. Who just goes around the world punching people? 
<laughs> the art like Russell Crowe. Um, like, yeah, exactly. he's not a billionaire, right? He's a millionaire. <laughs> but um, it, 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 the author's Australian. I don't know if the character is, but the 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 it's the doings of Vigorous Daunt, and he's got like a servant who tells his story. Um, uh, and it's like, oh, this looks really. Oh, here it is. Vigorous Daunt, billionaire, and he's got like a gun <laughs> pointing at the reader. Um, look at this thing. Uh, oh, I think I, I think I sent you right from the middle of that thread. Anyways, I was at I was at the library the other day, uh-huh. and I did see a N.K. Jeminson book. Uh huh. And I I couldn't get past the first few pages. I think she's she must be smart, and I, oh, her politics are kind of sh- her politics are kind of shit. Like she was a Warren supporter. And then she was yeah. like very anti Bernie, well, which is a bad sign, a very bad sign. And I mean, the Omela's response—I don't know. It's like it's really weird. It's like a very liberal response to the Omela. She's a shit lib. And from, from what I I've, but, I've read, yeah. But I dig like the Afrofuturist kind of aesthetic and ideas and. Need to have you know. I, I wish I had more time up. to read more of it. Yeah. But it's like this novel is set in some new, like American city, New York City, or something, and it's just like it was unreadable the first few pages. That's I thought, Look at the, the first thread on this one is: Do not attempt to pitch yourself against vigorous Daunt, or he'll break you like a reed. And then the next p- illustration: Without hesitation, handcuffed and chained as I was, I threw myself into the river. Daunt caught up a chair. I seized a knife, and we retreated to the farthest corner of the room. I was like, wow, these are... Uh, Daunt slipped down the cord hand hand over hand. His majesty answered, I have tasted oatmeal before. (laughs) We are caught like rats in a trap. Ferrati stood upon the threshold, his eyes blazing with anger. Uh, I mean, it's, there's two different threads, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and then there's another one by the same author, The Living Mummy. And that one looks good too. It's like, how come, how come we, how would you want to read some modern book when you could read this? this Did you ever fun. read the Lovecraft Mummy story? Which one? It's one of the revisions. Uh, I've read most of his stuff. What's the uh, what's the, the one? co-author? It's out of Ian. Is it out of Ian's? It's out the of Hazel. Eons? It's one of the ha- yeah, it's Hazel Heald. I don't think I read it's, that one. It's out of the Ian's. It's a mummy one. It's it's pretty out good. Of the it's Eons. a Boston museum. Puts up an ancient mummy, and all the weird cultists show up. It, I mean, there's all kinds of great Lovecraft stuff in that one, and it's uh, yeah, and then. Somehow through time, the mummy is like the the image, like somehow the image in the eye of the mummy when it died is a window into the past. And you can see the elder God Ooh. through his eyes or something through the mummy's eyes. Cool. But there's a lot of fun with it, like these cultists trying to like steal the body and stuff. That sounds fun. Out of the Eons uh, audiobook. Should be one. The healed there. revisions are pretty much Lovecraft. I mean, oh, healed. They're mostly ghost written. There's one I read uh, with Stone something. 
was in a science fiction magazine. I can't remember. Um, so there's an audiobook of it out there, but I don't think there's a LibriVox one. Uh, oh no, that one's for, that one's a set. I had an audiobook of that. It's, it, 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 there's an audiobook for everything. It's just whether it's, um, in fact, I just saw a Love Dead, uh, audiobook on LibriVox, I think. Um, which is really fun. We could do that. That one's in hand. It just yeah. came out. I didn't actually listen to the new audiobook of it, but there is, and somebody else sent me an audio. That's Eddie, right? Uh, CM Eddie, yeah. And it seems like it's mostly Eddie, but, um, I, uh, I love it anyways, even if oh, it's so funny. It's so hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. You've been talking about it for years. Oh my God. It's so hilarious. Cause it's, it's, um, I snuggled up to the corpse. <laughs> And then yeah. it turned a little rotty. <laughs> so I had to kill another, I had to kill again. Like, ooh. <laughs> and he's, and it's like, it's, uh, it's the second, it's my depravity. Oh, my depravity. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> Here I'm writing this on the back of a tombstone. How depraved I am. <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's almost like Archer level humor, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, Oh, what was who was that? Oh yeah, Dan Carlin didn't know what an octoroon was or no quadroon. Yeah, he's clearly not watching um, Archer. That's funny stuff. All right, I'm going to bed. All right, good night, sir. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. Um, I believe the phrase is save it for the podcast. All right. I didn't say anything yet. <laughs> I was talking to you, Evan. I was talking to Jesse. Um, we lost uh, Marissa, Misa, and uh, Cora, I think. Let's just see if there's anybody All else. of them? All of them. All went out the air. Cora actually wrote a, a response to both yes. equations, right? Yes. Your mic, your mic uh, sounds different. Like, um, maybe Better or worse? Uh, I think you're just not close to it. It's, it's, oh, yeah. How's it, how's it's much it better. Much better. I just moved it. Excellent. Um, I'm going to check the schedule. It says Jesse, Paul, Evan, Will. Oh, we lost Will too. Uh, Marissa, uh, Misa, and Cora. So Will is an honorary girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to continue with this stupid joke forever. Okay. Um, I'm ready if you're ready. Unless uh, you have some uh, heavy uh, subjects for um, pre-show Pre-chat. stuff. Yeah. Is there anything? Probably. There's always something going on. There's always a drama going on somewhere. Uh, yeah, in my mom's uh, dog. You uh, have drama. You have personal drama. For you bit me last the night. other day. He's a he's a, my mom. I said it once. And my mom's picked it up, even though she 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 <laughs> she probably doesn't think it's right. It's the right term. Uh, she calls him. Um, What's he called? Uh, autistic. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's like, um, his brain's weird. Um, and he had a weird upbringing. Uh, 
And uh, so I was like petting him the other day and he bit me. And he, he's done that sort of thing before, including biting me. Um, and, you know, there is always an explanation. But the explanation's in his head and it's not in, in the world. And, you know, he, he wants to be a good boy, but he also bites me, which is pretty nuts. So. Yeah. Well, I, I went to the, I, I bought a bunch of skill modeling stuff. Uh, that's what I've been doing. Like for making a model of something? Yeah. I, I bought all the supplies and. What are you going to make had, a model of? I got, I bought three. I got a, a T62, a T34. And, tanks, uh, <laughs> tanks, <laughs> like, hey. two Soviet tanks, and a and a and a BF one hundred nine, and I did that first. So wow. the idea is, I'm gonna with the BF one hundred nine, I'm just gonna like try to get some basic skills down, get some measurement yeah. action happening, and then with the the tanks, I'm gonna start doing more weathering and put in some maybe shell damage and. Winterize them, you know. You can make so them. So the BF one hundred and nine is your test bed for yeah. But I fucked, up, I fucked up the canopy already. Well, um, this is why it's hard practice. to paint. It's really hard to paint on the canopy, the, like the the bars. Mm. You know, it's it's hard. I don't have like the. I don't know. Maybe go back and get some better brushes. Were or you something. a modeler? As I a need kid? an airbrush. I I did them, but I was looking online. Like the standards for like painting are so much higher now. Mm. You know. But I'll, I'll work into it. It's, Interesting. It's fun, to, it's fun to do. Yeah, I kind of dig it. I always enjoyed it. I was just watching. Wait, what you some... can't get here is like Enterprises. You can't get like Star Trek models here. Oh, really? It's not big in Taiwan. Ta- they Star have their own kind Star of Trek? fan culture. Yeah, but a lot of good giant stores sword, that have, giant sword. A lot of good stores that have pretty affordable um, plastic bits. Yeah. Yeah, World War II stuff. I tried to do it as a kid, but I'm pretty shaky, so it didn't work out for me. My my motor skills aren't great, so I never did. Well, you can make up for that stuff with uh, the right techniques, which I'm trying to learn. Mm. Should be like a massive YouTube culture for this. This is probably our how-to-do's. Say again? There's probably lots of how-to's on YouTube. Yeah, it seems i got to buy an earbrush. Mm. Uh, The more... For for the just the general coding and for the You're first code, recreate the Eastern Front with your three models is the idea, right? Well, the T sixty two is post war, and the T thirty four is uh, well, that would have been. I, I meant war. the new Eastern Front. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the 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 sheet of paper they put in there, they're saying like they still use the T sixty fours and like uh, you know because those the Soviets like sold them to other people, and they're still in service I in like, North Korea. T seventy two being attacked on a YouTube. Uh, uh, thread and um, by like a automatic rocket launcher thing and uh, if you look at the comments they're like there's like gotta kill those Nazi <laughs> Nazis are like we gotta kill those Soviets and I was like whoa these guys are um, yeah yeah I, 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 I did make a nice little uh, uh, not really a meme but what was the comment like Putin saying like you know Fuck the Soviet Union and all it stands for. Nice borders, though. And <laughs> nice and, and 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 nice nukes, and and that's a really pretty seat in the in the UN. And uh, oh, that that defeated Hitler medal. I'll keep that too. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Because, of course, the, the Soviet or Russian nationalism built so much on, like, we defeated Hitler. It's yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it wasn't you. It's an entirely different country that you guys overthrew. Mm. A really awesome country that you thought the world would be better without. You don't get their medals. Wow. Well, I guess you do, but you shouldn't let them. You get their tanks. Get and their nukes. And yeah. their UN the veto. Yeah, there must have been some diplomacy with them. Russia getting the UN seat of the Soviet Union, but it was shitty diplomacy. Whatever, UN's fucked. Yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> I have some pre-show stuff we can talk about the schedule if you like, because there's some weird holes. Oh yeah, I wanted to add. Uh, everything's eventual. Okay, so it's kind of uh, like follow up from last time. Marissa, she said. Um, she can't make it this weekend because she's so swamped. Um, but she wanted to add to the schedule, and I put it there. I talked to Paul about this yesterday. A story called Strawberry Spring by Stephen King. Oh. Have you read that? Okay. Yeah, of course. Okay. So we could do that instead of... Uh, I put it on the schedule, but now. with no date because she's not ready. <laughs> <laughs> so it's at the bottom. Um, next week is the Temple of Death. Um I'm not sure this time is correct. Nobody's got the, uh, this is, um, uh, a Connor episode. So this will be at 4 p.m. Paul on the Saturday. Yeah. Which, which knocks me out. Yeah. Um, then there's a, there's a blank, uh, spot, um, for 0403. And then Connor was telling me that there's something wrong with the date for 0409. <laughs> so that's bad. Um, however, the Wendigo uh, is still on. That's for yeah. uh, April 17th. And mm-hmm. then there's two holes there. And um, I think, uh, yeah, a guy named Fred, uh, you guys don't know him that well, Fred Heimbaugh, he he started uh, talking about a, a um, Lee Brackett story. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is on the website. So uh, there's, I think it's Black Amazon. Of Mars. Oh, oh, nice. Yes. Uh, we already have the audio um, on the other podcast uh, page. So I just need to put those three files together and the PDFs already online. So um, Will should be into that one. It's a planet stories. Let me see. Oh, I, I put strawberry spring as a B on my tier list. Maybe it should have been higher. Well, um, what was it? Everything's eventual. Is that on the S tier or whatever it's called? No, that's I haven't got to yet. That's ninety. That's two thousand two or two thousand three. All right. That is that's published in thought in a but collection. But how did you do in the brackets? Okay. Sorry, it's March Madness, so I had to make a bracket reference. <laughs> Means nothing to me. <laughs> I didn't think it mean anything oh. to either of you, really. Okay. Not that I watch college basketball either, but the whole wow. idea. Of br- Bracketology is interesting to me, though, because mm-hmm. this guy came out with this whole book of – it was a few years ago. He, he was inspired by March Madness. He's still just like ranking things in brackets, best national parks, best mm. best fast foods, and just like putting them against each other and trying to figure out what is the best of everything using brackets, bracket-style uh, knockouts. So I put as the best night ship story, uh, I Know What You Want, which is like an incel story. That's I think I put it mm. there because that's kind of it's an incel with uh, psychic abilities, so he's able to. He's like totally socially dysfunctional. Maybe lack like, of other issues, not just incel, but he's able to 
take advantage of his ability to essentially sort of, you know, get women to like him. That's that's sad. It's, it's yeah, but it's it's prescient. I think it's Sadly a good story. Prescient. Timely, even yeah. Uh, so I I I'd like to do some novels, but I'm I've been <laughs> I had been burned out from all those novels we did in a row but now there's like nothing <laughs> so we need to schedule something um there's a bunch of stuff at the bottom uh including yeah. uh space viking sort of weller and sea wolf uh is is will gonna be back in because you did put sea wolf as march 2022 oh there we go um but that, i think we want will for up. that if will's God yeah, is. we yeah yeah. For, if we're here's, doing Jack Wild, then we have to have Will. Here's the problem with Will is um, he wants to show up, but he it's not priority number one. So we have to schedule as if he's going to show up, and then if he doesn't, don't worry about it because um, he he was uh, traveling last week, and this week he some friend came to visit him from from uh, England, so. We are we are on his priority list, but it's number two. <laughs> oh, oh spe- speaking of which, so so I need to talk to you, Jesse, about this. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so this 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 will, this will take a little uh, setup. So bear with me. So, my job is, if you didn't know and Evan didn't know, is I work as a warranty administrator for a company that makes fan clutches for trucks and ag equipment and other stuff. Mm-hmm. I I administer the warranty. Doesn't mean I analyze the parts i take the analyses i take the other information from the claims all that stuff and make determinations run reports do all that sort of thing mm-hmm. i'm the only person who does my job right the only person that analyzes the parts is over in britain south dakota he analyzes the parts and he sends me those analyses that's it person john is now out with soldier surgery for at least six weeks i'm thinking more eight to twelve there are two people in the company who are qualified to do his job. I am one of them. Mm-hmm. So for the next eight to 12 weeks, I'm going to be spending, but they were still trying to figure that my, my ostrich headed boss is still trying to figure out how, how we're going to do this. But I think the most likely option is I'm going to be spending lots of time in Britain, South Dakota, which means I'm going to have a lot less time to, ah. and doing two Doing two point end job, doing two jobs at once, which means I have a lot less time for audiobooks. No, you I'd got like. more time for commuting. <laughs> no, 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 no. I can't. I can't, tra- can't travel to Britain and back in a day. Right. I'd be. I. I mean, that's five hours away. Yeah. <laughs> so, so and just just the the extra time and stuff. As I can't really listen to audiobook while I'm analyzing parts. It's just not gonna work. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have less time to do everything else in my life it's gonna it's gonna be very much a conserve spoon sort of situation so the less novels is probably good because mm. i don't know how many novels i'm going to be able to actually handle and then do a podcast on sunday um i mean if, if worse comes to worst and i'm spending five days a week out there i mean it's going to be i come on the podcast with you <coughs> excuse me and then after after this podcast, I'm driving to Britain to be there for Monday. Mm. That's a possible. And then Friday, stay, stay there five days and Friday nights drive home. 
basically have only a day and a half of a weekend at best to anything mm-hmm. to do everything else. So your life's going to be busy for 13 weeks or so, you say? Um, Starting when? I mean, and, and, and even if the best case scenario, which is probably – I. Fl- because the company has a plane, I fly out there on Tuesdays and come back on Thursdays. That's a whole chunk of my week, which I'm spending doing all that. So, yeah, for the next 13 weeks, I'm thinking my bit life's going to be very busy, which doesn't mean I don't want to be on the podcast, but it means more it's short gonna stories. It's going to be a jet setter. More short stories would probably be better. I mean, my boss has made noises about, oh, why don't we analyze parts here in Roseville? This everything thing here. There's lots of logistical issues, and the person that runs the warehouse here in Roseville said, no, you don't want to do that and just try and wave off, wave off my boss frantically mm. at this help. Because we get a lot of stuff back for warranty lately because of issues with a supplier who makes a part for ours, which is failing at a not great rate. And I mean, the warranty spent has gone up lately and it's not good. And they're still trying to get their hands around this problem. So, yeah. So until John comes back and even after that, he's my light duty, it's going to be a lot of a mess for me for doing anything. Okay. So what I'm saying is more short stories make me better able to participate on the podcast. I mean, Tuesday, I fly out to Britain with my boss and we will assess how things have gone since Thursday when, my, when John left. And But we'll see how that actually goes. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting um, a crap fest and lots You have of- to hide your skills from your boss so you don't get asked to do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's nobody else to do. No, okay, there's one other person in the company who could do this job, but he's the field service representative. He travels all over the country working with dealers and distributors and whatnot. So he doesn't have time to sit in Britain to do this. So, yeah, I, so, I sympathize. A, me, me, and me. So, you know, you need to do some shoulder surgery. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm worried that my vacation's coming. I mean, my my planned vacation for May is now off the table and gone. I'm hoping summer doesn't get screwed up too. I was going to go fly to New York City and see my friends on the East Coast. That's not happening now. I don't think Black Amazon of Mars is novel length. I think it's probably a couple hours at most. So I mean, the, the, I mean the, those range. sorts of things I could. Those things I can squeeze yeah. around. There's no and actual novels on the schedule right now. Okay. So that's what I'm saying is less novels means more poll participation. Mm-hmm. Take make that take that determination for what you will. Uh, if you I, throw in an eleven hour novel, what's uh, everything's eventual out. running time? It's like two hours. I can check yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh it's it's pretty good. It's just a nice follow up from the from last week's uh, call him I Nemesis. Think, kind of, yeah, kind of the superhero. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. It's kind of, a, it's under superhero origin story. That's what I was thinking about. Why don't we put it Jesse on uh, 0403 then? How about that? Let me. I gotta go in my audiobook folder. Assuming that's that will work. Stephen King. Yeah, fourth. Uh, that yeah, that's the third. So that's a Sunday. Oh yeah, and if I do wind up having to spend five days a week in Britain, that means my one fifty-eight, right? Mm-hmm. One hour and fifty minutes. Everything apostrophe s. Yeah, everything's eventual with a the possessive mm. by Mister Stephen Shitlib King. Yeah. <laughs> His full name. 
<laughs> uh, putting it on there. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, it's, 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 it's I realized, I realized, um, you actually called him a shit lib, I think, with his, his, his app. That's why I never answered you earlier. Huh? Did I earlier call him a shit lib? Yeah. Yeah. Publicly? And it's yep. Yeah. Oops. And it was, it was like, uh, 2021 too. It wasn't like, re- Recently, it was he did some stupid Stephen King take. Um, and I was picking on people who say stupid things about Stephen King. I mean, uh, I wasn't. No, you, I wasn't but you said, Stephen yeah, King. even though he's a shit lib, at least at least he's a good writer. <laughs> he's still the. I think it was actually me, and then you jumped in there. No, when I was doing this stupid Stephen King takes, I'll still do it once in a while if I come across them. It's always things like, oh, he can't nail his endings. It's like. Mm. Yeah, if you don't know what a eucatastrophe is, he can't nail his endings. But mm. like, if he can't nail his endings, Tolkien can't either. Um, Somebody had a really bad and, take about Tolkien. And what way. was the other one? And then what's what were some of the others? Oh, like his like The Shining is a good adaptation. You know, that's a bad take. Um, I or the there, there was a kind of a, 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 a not quite a bad Stephen King take, but it was like a. a uh, what's a Frank Mueller is a, you know, is reads his book straight with no characterization. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> no, it's not true at all. If you read like the different seasons, every if he reads all four, but they're like distinctly different narrator styles. I mean, you can. It's been a long time since I heard of Frank Mueller, but he was a straight reader. He wasn't a performer like Bronson Pinchot. Yeah, I kind of disagree with that. I think he. Uh, we got to wrestle. I mean, we got to wrestle now. <laughs> it's not uh, over the top, like no. It's very like Pinchot did. Uh, Pinchot did a, is a, a chameleon. Eye of the Dragon, and it's like cringy to listen to sometimes. I, I I'm not actually. I prefer straight readers. I think they're they're the best. Grover Gardner, Wayne June, you know, just regular straight up narrator. Uh, you, you know, when you uh, did um, that uh, big. Uh, What's it called? Um, Brother and sister? No, the sister. sex book. The uh, Mister Adam. They're all sex books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mister Adam. There's not. There's not a ton of characterization. There's a little bit, right? The important part is that was straight reading, even though there was a little bit of characterization. Um, there's yeah. the performers like disappear, and you're like, oh my god, is this the same guy? Um, and I think that can over overtake what's going on I, I i'm more about the word delivery than i am about the performance well whatever yeah. um so well that we've got two weeks scheduled uh and then i, I have to figure out what connor's saying about no man's land and uh and then the wendy goes in there so we might have to move something around later but uh, as long as we're scheduled for next week, I think we're good. Um, I'm going to just write my name in here right now and fix the date on this. So Jesse, um, Evan, uh, Connor, and how, how uh, is the news that you told me yesterday going to hit? Oh, going to affect things yeah. going forward. Uh, well, it'll fuck things up probably, but, um, luckily you have several months of things in the bank. I, it's what I'm saying. It's time. It's time to cash some of that time in, so to speak. You know, you th- you think about you think about uh, it like like it's vacation time. 
No, I'm not thinking like vacation. Yeah, you you do. You, you're spending you're a lot. All, of you stuff. live for your vacations. Oh, oh you don't oh, understand. You're talking about me. I don't about that. Yes, I, I don't. I don't like vacations. I like the opposite. I like like I don't like getting up early to do a podcast. What I like is having done a podcast. It, you, you, I'm, I mean, I'm a like weird what, guy for sure. You're, you're like a writer who like who, who wants to have written rather than to write. Uh, well, I I like having written something. Yeah. Um, more than the actual process. No, I like the I like the writing process too, but okay, it's difficult uh, sometimes. And you know when it's you know when I write a clunker, <laughs> I'm less happy with it. But at least you know there's I, I'm a I'm a definitely weird guy. But I don't you don't understand. I, I don't want to take time off from doing a podcast. It's the opposite. No, but I'd like to do more, it, but I can't. Right, there's not enough time I, to prep. You, you're going to have a you're going to have a spoon deficit coming real soon. I don't understand the spoon metaphor. What do you mean? Ba- ba- basically, the amount of time and attention you can pay attention to things, because be, because circumstances eat that eat at that. I mean, the original the original uh, the OG the OG was basically someone who was disabled, so they don't so they had just. I'll spend spend a lot of time just actually just getting around the day as it were, so they didn't mm. have a lot of time for extra stuff. But what does the spoon have to do with it? Well, well, well the the original the original poster way back when basically ah. explained I have these number of spoons and this is what I can get to do in a day. So if I'm doing this, then I'm using spoons, and then I'm I'm out of spoons. So I can't spoons e- are equivalent to time. Is that right? It's t- time, effort, energy that you can expend on stuff in a day. Okay. Basically, your basically your resource of of being able to do stuff. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, and there is a limited number of hours in the some, day. That's for sure. Right. Right. For everybody, that's time. For some people, like disabled people or whatnot. Nancy Pelosi just permanently energy. stole one of my hours. Apparently, I, I don't really understand this this uh, daylight savings thing they just did, but. She's that's well, well, that's my you know, understanding. Like, they stole an and, hour and, and of my life. Can't blame Nancy Pelosi. Only the Senate has passed it. So. Oh, really? Okay. Well, when, yeah. when and, she and passes it, it. And anyway, daylight savings in general happens every year. They just want to make it permanent. Yeah, but it, but it, it, we gain an hour and lose an hour, right? And then apparently Correct. we're not going to ever but gain back. It might the hour. mean you you you're going to live. No, you actually yeah you're good. You lose I've, an hour. I've lost an hour but, of my life. They stole uh, it really. from me. Well, not you. But if this passes, yes. In, you're, in fact, you're slightly less likely to make it to the next day to live one extra day. Well, I, I don't. I, I, I measure right? by hours, right? I, I measure by spoons. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I guess your your you're life expectancy me. would be the same. My number of you're spoons is you. reduced by one or something. I don't. No, no, you're no, no, because because you because it's it's just that. It's, things are shifted into the next day. I mean, so. in a way, Pope Gregory then took some days from your life. That by, bastard. Yes, he did. And by putting and, and, back and when, leap years. And, and, and when the uh, American colonies and Great Britain did it, we're taking out leap years. Whatever. Did in 1752. It had gotten even worse. It was 13 days when they finally fixed it. They were the last. Mm. I mean, I'm gonna go Russia dig was, up Pope well, no, Gregory. Actually, Russia was the last country to tell me what to, I think of him. Was 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 the la- Russia was the last country to switch to the Gregorian calendar from the Julian? Oh, the, so- the Soviet Union. Let's not um, give that medal to Putin too. <laughs> no, but no, no, no. But it was, but, but no, no. It was it was uh, 
No, you're right. It might have been the Soviet Union. But anyway, because well, there's, there's that old thing with the October Revolution being in November, so it must right. have been. After. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. Wow. The only reason I know about this is because Isaac Asimov complained about it in an essay once that he lost 13 days of his of his life as a result. Mm. Because his birthday, because his, and his birthday is all screwed up because it's on the Julian count because he was born before the change happened. So his birthday is actually on the was actually on the Julian calendar on the Gregorian calendar. Those bastards. Which is how was how he also first. Those commie bastards stole his thirteen days. Well, yeah, by a wave of their commie hands. The the last line of that is "Give me back my thirteen days." I believe is the last Mm. line of that essay. It was the first time I'd actually heard about the Julian and Gregorian calendar. I learned a lot from Isaac Asimov. Just how Mm -hmm. stuff happens. All right. Well, it's a better calendar. I don't know what Asimov was complaining about. He lost thirteen days. That's what he lost. That's what he's complaining. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's so, not how your life experience. Uh, yeah. Works. No, it's not. <laughs> but you know, whatever. All right. Um. So, who wants to do a show on a on a story or two? I'm ready. All right. Here we go.